What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is brought to you by the PLD Projects Network. It's me. It's me. It's PLD. The following is brought to you by the PLD Projects Network. It's me. It's me. It's PLD. PLD. PJ Campbell. Two mediocre white dudes on film. Because frankly, we know you don't have enough of that in your life. So we're here to give you more. And without further ado, here are two mediocre white dudes on film. So I'm just going to say it right now. There's fake numbers. There's fake numbers on the screen. Because you, you were like, hey, we're going to try something different. We're going to go to a new place. And I like numbers. I like seeing the numbers come down. And I get all excited because we're recording. That was not the real numbers, my friend. It felt weird. I am trying to make this feel like home. Uh, Why is it still going? I switched the numbers. I thought you might want to do different numbers. I tried different numbers out on you. Uh, (laughs) None of this matters to (laughs) people at home, by the way. People at home, what this means, we went from Riverside that I went to the stream yard just because of whatever reasons. And I tried to recreate the stream yard, the Riverside numbers that we always see when we start hitting record. We get excited about. Not going to happen, but I did try my best. So fuck you, I tried my best. <laughs> Look, you tried your best, but your best just wasn't enough tonight. That's all I'm saying. Um, how dare you? Story of my life, one. basically. Story of my life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, so, I, it's a big day here. Go ahead. It's a huge day here. Um, in It's like colossally the thing that has been our great white whale in like the search of doing a podcast we always knew that this was like the day this was the day that we wanted to get to and we're doing this so early on i'm gonna be honest because i'm hoping we do this for a long time so it's very funny that we're doing this so early on but i am happy to report that we are going to be talking about the currently 12 almost 13 film franchise Halloween, which began in 1978 under the direction of John Carpenter. So, of course, that means today we're talking about 1978's Halloween. You know, the night he came home. One of the greatest horror films of all time. A personal favorite film of mine. A movie that is in my 
movies you need to see before you die. And really, if you haven't, Michael's probably going to kill you. And that sucks. And you should be prepared for that. Like, this is why you need to watch this movie. You, you don't want to be hunted. Of course, it was almost called the babysitter, babysitter murders. That would be uh, such a disgrace. Like, imagine that. Imagine this alternate universe somewhere where we're not covering the Halloween franchise. We're covering the Babysitter Murders franchise. You mean the, the the singular film? Because I don't know if there would have been a franchise after that. I'm going to be honest with you. The name is that important, actually. It's true. The name is that I, I legitimately <laughs> find the name that important because it's so simple. The Babysitter Murders does not sound nearly as intriguing as Halloween. The night he came home is the tagline. Like, to me, that's evocative which is this whole movie, but I'm really excited to talk about it because I really adore this franchise. I really adore this movie in particular. I mean, I really love a lot of them. I'm going to be really insufferable through most of this. Actually. Uh, I apologized well in advance on Twitter that guys, I'm sorry. You know what, man? Look, (laughs) I, I'm not always an insufferable asshole when it comes to stuff. I love, I'm going to be an insufferable asshole about this. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I love it so much. I will be joining you in being said insufferable asshole as well. Uh, You mentioned it right away. I just want to touch base on what you just said about this is the way well. Um, This is something when we discussed having a podcast, we said this is like basically the basis. Like we want to cover the Halloween franchise. We didn't want to do it first. We kind of wanted to get our feet wet, see how this was going to go and build up. We said, but you know what? Halloween ends comes out this year. We should get our feet wet with some things. And then starting the summertime and – while leaving a few weeks in case of scheduling snafus, by the time we get to the end of our 12-movie run, be just enough time that we'll be able to go see a movie in the theaters and then come back and have an episode on an actual current episode, as you were, of Too Many White Dudes on film and being Halloween ends. So in order to get there, we have this whole franchise to get through. And while it has ups and downs, there's movies I love in this franchise. There's movies that are terrible in this franchise. But yet I will never skip any of them and I'll watch them all because I just love the universe. I feel like it's like a family like thing. It's like everybody like who likes Halloween is like a big family. And some of us are more closer connected than others. But this film has started it all. And you know how impressive this film yeah. is? Well, I will say one thing real quick before you, okay, ch- before okay. you jump off. One thing about this, you can tell how important this film is to us. Because we haven't had any outside banter at all. We went right into the we went right for the throat. Sorry Honestly, that, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I will derail us eventually, I'm sure. But I'm so I got too, way too excited <laughs> to talk about it because I adore these so much. Um, and you're right; it is kind of like your weird family. And every once in a while, you have to let your drunk uncle in because Rob Zombie decided that he was gonna do what he was gonna do. And like, I don't necessarily like you, drunk uncle, but like, I have to appreciate your existence, I suppose. Uh, spoiler alert, I have feelings about the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. I can't wait to get there, I'll be honest with you, because we definitely this that's one of the few times we've had differing opinions about things. Um, and they're not as different as like you would think, perhaps. But we definitely have some differing views on it, and I can't wait to get there and talk about that. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about, though, about this uh, watch through franchise uh series is that this is going to be the first time we're also going to have guests along yeah. the way. Uh, which I'm super excited about. Um, Literally, science and deliver before we went before we started recording this. Yeah, yeah. Brandon Hanna will be uh, the one of our first guests ever. I think he's going to probably be on a couple of episodes, which I'm very excited about. Um, who knows if we get other people along the way? But 
they're going to get to join the chaos that is us doing two mediocre white dudes on film. And I think these episodes, yeah, but I mean, here's the thing is these episodes are already long. We're about to throw another person into the mix. Like, buckle up. You can only imagine how ridiculous it's going to be. It is going to be absolutely Um, ridiculous. And the funny thing is, is for me, it wasn't even like in prep for this or anything, but over the last couple of weeks, I started like going back down a John Carpenter rabbit hole. Uh, as you're aware, like over the last couple of weeks, I just started rewatching a bunch of his movies and in no particular order, I've just been putting them on and like going back and watching them. And last night I actually got to see big trouble in little China on the big screen for the first time, which was like an incredible joy, dude. And it was a sold out crowd. Like it was a sold out crowd at a 10 p.m. screening at our indie theater, watching Big Trouble in Little China, and everyone wanted to be there. Like, a dad brought his kids with him who had clearly never seen the movie. And they, like, it it was the best. Everyone was just, like, so into it and clapping and having, like, the best time. I loved it. I loved everything about it because I adore that movie. Oh, I'm so, 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 so jealous of you. Uh, I've only saw that movie. The funny thing is I saw that movie recently. I did a Carpenter watch through as well. And I hadn't watched Big Trouble Little China probably, honestly, since not too long after it came out. I went a long time without watching it. Um, Dear God, how is that possible? I know. It just said I kind of I went away from Carpenter for a bit. Nothing, nothing against him. No reason why. I just, for whatever reason, just ab- Outside the Halloween of it all, I didn't really rewatch a lot of his stuff until like the late, probably aughts, really, when I went back into it in 2010s. I slowly started getting into it. Um, but it wasn't until I sat down with the actual Carpenter watch again and I finally was like rewatching Big Trouble. I was like, oh, why did I wait so long? <laughs> Dude, I, I, I'll say this right now. Like, uh, it shouldn't come as any shock with the stuff that I like. Carpenter is one of my all time favorite filmmakers. Like, all of his stuff just rings so like true and the thing i love about big trouble is somewhere along the way he's like i'm gonna make a martial arts film and i'm gonna put (laughs) kurt russell in the middle of it but he's gonna be a total idiot like he's not the hero and everyone else around him is and then on top of that he's like it's also gonna have horror elements but it's also gonna be like super sci-fi fantasy and it it's like it's so bonkers and i adore it so much and there's like weird creature designs Russell is so good as Jack Burton. And I was actually thinking about this while I was walking out. They kept threatening to make like that reboot sequel thing with Mm. Dwayne Johnson for like the longest time. And I just don't have any interest. I'm going to be honest. I love the rock, but I don't want anyone trying to be Jack Burton other than Kurt Russell. I don't want anyone trying to recapture that magic because the truth of the matter is, is no one else is John Carpenter. Here's the, and that's exactly the reason why. Let me say, I really think the issue with it is, by, by the way, I was never a big Carpenter fan until my recent Carpenter watch through. It was now again, not that I didn't like him. I just never really glommed on to him as like why I liked him. I liked all his movies, but I always saw them so separately and didn't know who he was when I was younger. I became a movie guy, like really, really a movie guy in the 2000s. So watching him, like, oh, this is Carpenter, of course. And I love and now I love Carpenter, one of my favorites of, of all time now. Also, I think the thing about Carpenter is if you look back and you look at all the stories, they're not like huge hits because of the stories per se. Like it's not like these are all like 
so well crowd like well written masterpieces such in depth up it's no they're very scrappy they're scrappy they're very dirty they're very like not like so like taking carpenters carpenter out of it and taking everything that like those are kind of pieces like they just don't don't make sense unless it's someone nobody else doing this and makes sense except for john carpenter if anybody else but john carpenter made this film it would have been a disastrous stupid and never seen the light of day and if it did see the light of day it would have gone him the next day and that's the i think you kind of nailed it and we'll get into it as we talk about the halloween films too because there's a there's a real truth to that and there's a reason that i think that all the movies that are the strongest in the franchise are the ones that he was somehow involved in in a capacity like i you know not to show our hand or anything but when you look at like the 2018 reboot, when you look at kills, he still produces them. They, you know, he, all the story stuff went through him first. Like they always passed through what they were going to do. H2O very similarly. He was very far along in going to almost direct it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, two and three, the, the ones where he's the most directly involved are really some of the strongest entries. And that's not lost on me. That doesn't change the fact that I love a lot of these regardless. But <laughs> like, right, sure. uh, him being involved means that the franchise, for the most part, kind of stays the Carpenter course. They, there's not a lot of trying to redo the mold or break the mold. There are, but that's when he's not involved. Let me ask you a question, and this might be more served better to ask later on during our H2O episode. But I'll, I'll, so we'll, we'll get into it more during that episode. But just off the cuff here, would you want to see Carpenter direct H2O? I mean, yes and no. I like Steve Miner. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Steve Miner did some of the Friday the 13th films. Uh, yeah, he did two and three. He, you know, he's had a track record around the slasher genre. I thought it was pretty cool that he actually got a chance to play with Michael in the same way that he got to play with Jason, Mm -hmm. because for all intents and purposes, he kind of defines Jason as far as the Friday franchise is concerned, because he does two and three. Yeah. And guess what? Those are the ones where Jason becomes Jason because he's not the killer. Yeah, and watch Friday Thirteenth Part One or Scream for that matter. You'll know that Mrs. Voorhees was the killer in Friday Thirteenth Part One, and Jason really is only a mutant, deformed child who jumps out of the ocean or the lake at the end. So, right, correct. Meyer is the guy who, basically, for all intents and purposes, created Jason. Right. So, for him to play with another horror icon, which, as we all know, is like Friday was kind of made to rip off Halloween. That was the entire reason it was made by the studio was to try to find that trend and write it out still uh, two years later. Can I say also how refreshing that is, by the way, that like the, the, the creators of Sean Cunningham are basically just, they'll, they'll completely admit it. It's not a good trend to deny. It's like, yep, so Halloween, want to make money? Decided to rip it off. <laughs> like that was yeah, like, 100%. Like, it's, it's, it, God, what a nice, like, actual honest answer. <laughs> I think why we appreciate it so much that we can approve it. Go, oh, yeah, it is a ripoff, but we know it's a ripoff. Everyone knows it's a ripoff. No one's trying to pretend any, any differently. And ultimately, that franchise goes a very different direction as well. So, like, even if it started that way, they're very different regardless. And we'll get into some of the why of it, because I have very strong feelings about this movie in particular and the way that it's crafted. But 
I don't think I, I think ultimately I liked minor doing it, but I think had Carpenter done it, uh, it probably would have been more cohesive to be honest, because I think toward, I don't want to get into the H2O of it all just yet because that's so far down the line. Right. Um, but I definitely think that had Carpenter been more actively involved in the end and directed it, I think that the movie shifts and changes a little bit, um, to a third act way in particular. Okay. I get that. Um, Um, and I'll say this, I don't think we're that wrong. Because if you look at 2018, a lot of H2O's major beats are replicated in 2018 while Carpenter is producing it. So it's it's not lost on me that a lot of the stuff that H2O did was used later to try to – because they knew. The truth is, is that H2O did a lot of the same things uh, just 20 years earlier. And that's not a bad thing either. I'm not like taking shots at 2018. There's a reason to retread a lot of that stuff um, and doing it through a different lens. That's a great, that's a great answer. I'm actually interested. I'm I'm not going to go into it either too much because of that. I will say I'm actually overall glad that Carpenter didn't direct it because the Carpenter from the nineties, while still fun and entertaining, wasn't the Carpenter from 78. So I don't know if it, it kind of felt like that's a difference between between like between Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Both are great films, but Escape from New York to me is a superior film in almost well, every way. Yes, I mean it's honestly it's not even close for me, and I really right. I enjoy L.A. But I kind of feel it'd be the same way. I kind of feel like I would have really enjoyed the Carpenter H2O, but it would have paled in comparison. I think Steve Miner gave it a little something different, which I was able to claw onto. So I'm happy that it happened the way it did, regardless. One more question I want to ask before we get into this whole thing. And I'm sorry, Richard, Eric Trevi, our biggest fan of our banters. We're actually <laughs> we're not finding ways to go. Oh, I actually just want to get right to it because we love Halloween so much. Um, how did you get into Halloween at all in the first place? What was your first Halloween movie? How did you introduce yourself to it? I'll get all, get all into that. Um, so what's funny about that is actually I think that the first Halloween movie I ever saw, and at the time I didn't realize it, to be honest, uh, was Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers. Really? So I'm always going to have a soft spot for it because back in the day when cable was still very new and a lot of these movie channels and a lot of these movie packages that were put together on like stars and Cinemax and all of that, they were just buying libraries. Right. right. And the Halloween movies under dimension were different than the the Halloween movies owned by Lionsgate and Universal because right. Universal owned two and three and Lionsgate owned one and maybe Anchor Bay at that time too. But like no one owned all of the movies in one place, but Dimension had a hold on four five and six and seven and eight. But before eight and seven had come out, the others played pretty re- like regularly on Cinemax. And I would just kind of put it on and just watch. And I was pretty young and my parents had no idea I was watching it. And then <laughs> like as that went on, I started to realize that I was clearly missing something. Like there's more story here and I need to figure out the why of it all. And like that's when I started to 
to deep dive more into, okay, so there's got to be more of these movies. And I'll never forget when H2O was coming out because H2O's marketing campaign has been very lasting with me. Uh, I remember it was the first time I really realized that like horror movies kind of exist and like they're bigger than life. And that marketing push was everywhere. I saw that trailer in front of so many movies that my parents would take me to because my parents just took me to movies I probably shouldn't have been watching. And <laughs> right. so I'll, I always remember that shot of Michael where he's like holding on to the one rafter and like lowering oh, wow. down. And that was a big trailer shot. And I, I always remember the H2O of it all. And so because of that, I started looking into it more it, much to my parents frustration and <laughs> it's when i really started going and to every video store i could to get a hold of the movies or whatever else and so i just kind of kept watching it and then when with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky <gasps> No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to say that Zombies Halloween movies were some of the first uh, ones that I ever kind of followed. Uh, production for where I started to really get into like the news cycles and paying attention to productions. And like, we have to remember in the early days of movie news and stuff, we didn't pay attention to a lot of it. Like we had star log magazine or like, you know, empire or wizards of, you know, all these different magazines that were covering movies but it was always once the movie was like way farther down the line and like much closer to release. So a lot of the time you didn't know a movie was being made necessarily in the same way that nowadays we know about it like from jump. Right. Because it's constantly talked about, it's constantly brought up and et cetera, et cetera. So I remember following Halloween super closely and it was one of the first times that I was so curious because you know i loved house of a thousand corpses and i loved the devil's rejects so the idea of him doing halloween was very fascinating to me now granted i have my own feelings about how those movies turned out but i do think that that was a turning point for me and this franchise is a part of that because i was so enamored and so focused on what was being made what they were doing with it following the production like it changed me and it became part of why I fell in love with this space and doing this type of stuff, because then I could really hone in and like focus on them more. Interesting. Um, very interesting. So Halloween is very built into that. 
Okay. Like there's other movies, obviously the Hobbit movies are a part of that too, because, you know, not long after Lord of the Rings, the same thing, we started to hear rumblings, but that's when I started following that more and more, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So Halloween is very integral into me, integral to me being who I am and where we are now. And obviously the first movie once I finally saw it, I, I saw the first one late at night one night. I had rented it. I was watching it at my house downstairs. Uh, my parents were in bed. I was watching it on an old VHS. Had the front door of our house open. We had a screen. And it was just me, one of my pugs, and the movie. And it was one of the most terrifying experiences I ever had uh, in a good way because it felt so real. You know, it was unnerving. I live in suburban America. The movie is all about living in the middle of suburban America and what can happen. Like, and we'll kind of get into this. I think that's what makes the movie so special is it feels like anywhere USA. This was one of the first times I remember, not that this didn't happen beforehand, but it was one of the first times I remember a horror film feeling so visceral because it was the first time it was like you're not having to leave that's the thing about a lot of horror movies if you look at psycho or you look at the hills have eyes or friday the 13th or most of these bigger franchises horror does not come to you you have ventured out into the unknown and now you are caught in the middle of something right tourist trap like you're not in a place that should be comforting and you're not in a place that should always be feel safe. And that's home. Halloween ponders the question. What if horror came home and now you're caught in the middle of it? Like you did not choose to leave. You stayed home and horror showed up on your doorstep. It's a very, very interesting concept. And I always remember that feeling so scary because it felt so real that I could look out my front door and, you know, we had these like street lamps and stuff. And like, what if I saw a figure just like hanging out under a street lamp? It didn't matter who it was or if I knew the person, but suddenly I'm very unnerved. So it it had a very lasting effect on me. Uh, So long story short, Halloween matters, especially to me. So. Sorry, that's right. right. It's my very long answer. That's what we're here for. Um, I will say, interesting enough, that's what actually brought me to the Nightmare franchise as well, because Nightmare took that step further and said, Nightmares can come to you wherever you are, no matter where you are. Right. Um, But yeah, let me go back. I'll go back to let me answer my own question, because I think it's important to tell where we were and how we are approaching these, this franchise in a way, Uh, where how we came to it, I think, matters to how we see it. And uh, I can tell you that I have a little bit of a mystery in my head. Because I saw these when I was young. I was definitely like 10, 11, or 12 is when I started. Now, given my advanced age compared to you. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I, I don't want to say you're old, but you know, old. the cake is a lie, and you don't understand that reference. So, <laughs> I barely do. I barely do. Um, <laughs> only because I have kids that have told me about it. Um, <laughs> either way, though, I actually – I could be wrong. I don't know this. And this might, I'm completely lying to you, but I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure the Halloween four was the first movie I saw. I mean, that, uh, that tracks for where you would have been age wise. I about 10 or 11. I've been just like turning 11 that year. And it was a big deal. 
you know, at the time. Because it was after Halloween 3 happened. It was actually legitimately in the name. They actually had to put Michael Myers in the name to go, yo, last night. We know you didn't like the fact that Michael Myers wasn't in 3, which we're going to get into that whole. I like That's another discussion I can't wait to have. It's a very interesting take. Halloween 3 is very, very different. But, um, he did bring Michael Myers back. I was like, okay. So I had no idea who this was. I just knew I was kind of starting to get into horror a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you remember which I saw first in terms of Michael Myers, uh, Freddy Krueger, or Jason. I don't remember, but I was definitely getting into it around the same time. We all had things out in that time. Yeah, and I have to think. I think Michael was the first one that I watched, but I always knew of all three of them in a pretty large capacity yeah. because for me being born in 90 by the time i'm born the first eight friday movies are all out yeah the major the major thrust of the friday or the nightmare franchise is also over like new nightmare is basically kind of the only one left and how but halloween is still going and that's like halloween is still again h2o had a huge impact on me just from its marketing because it's 97 and I was seven years old or 98 rather, but the marketing from like 97 on. So, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I think, I think I want to say if I had the like, gun to my head, I had to make a call. I think I probably saw Freddy first. I think I saw nightmare three before I saw anything else potentially, but either way, nightmare four is the one that I globbed onto. And quite frankly, it might be why it's very, very high in my ratings because there's nothing like nostalgia to boost your uh, <laughs> boost how you look. No, no, no. Halloween Four is great. Don't, don't, it. It's not just nostalgia. It's okay. not just nostalgia. It's actually great. I, I mean, I agree. I think definitely that definitely doesn't hurt. That's that's one. So I went back and watched the other ones after that, and I watched Halloween One. And it was interesting to see because it's definitely a different Michael at that point. Um, but Halloween One was very quickly my second favorite at that point. Not anymore. I'm going to say, I'll spoil this right now. Halloween, the original Halloween is my favorite of, this, of the franchise now by far. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's really a spoiler. It's a spoiler to see where does all the other ones rank. I think where, anyone would be shocked if we didn't feel that way, other than maybe having Halloween 3 um, up the, above it, because there are those people who feel that way. Uh, I do not, and that's not a dig at Halloween 3. It's just the original is Halloween. That's the most, Halloween three is the most polarizing of the entire saga, quite frankly. You could say Rob yes. Zombies are polarizing, which I get also. And some people say H2O is polarizing. Some people are going to say Halloween Kills is polarizing. But Halloween three, because of the lack of Michael Myers, it is a totally different ballpark in a way. So actually, I have different views. I have differing views of it in my own heart about like just without taking a look at it as a Halloween movie versus a, a, a scary movie versus or a creepy movie or whatever. It, but we'll get into that again when we get to Halloween 3. Um, but that's where I came from was Halloween 4 first and Halloween. And then I went through there. I loved it. And then I loved all about it. But that that point when I got into it, I don't really remember Halloween 5 coming out very much, to be honest with you. But Halloween 6 came out. I was doing a deep dive into horror movies at that point. I was in college at that point. So I saw Halloween 6 in theaters as well. And by the way, tangent, a little bit of tangent. We're going to have to decide whether we want to cover Halloween 6 in, like, one episode or if we want to do two episodes. One of, like, the normal I or the producer's cut. Think, I think that it's actually better to probably do it as one and do a compare. Yeah, because I – I mean, not to air this the way we are, like, doing this on air, but I think it makes the most sense probably to actually have watched both and kind of sit down with both and go yeah. – or rather, we could do we could watch through the first eight, 
then go back to the producer's cut and then continue from there because, you know, it's a bridge between the rest. Potentially. We'll have to go up to definitely get into it. Yeah. Uh, But Halloween six at one point definitely felt like a, it felt like a franchise killer at the time. Um, then like when Halloween H2 came out, not too, too long, actually afterwards in the grand scheme of things, it really brought it back in my mind. That's where I, that's where I was. Um, I did not resurrection just kind of came and went, um, zombie movies. I want to say resurrection might've been the first one I properly owned. Actually. Um, I, I bought it on DVD at Hollywood video used. Okay. I guess I can see doing that. Honestly, speaking, the same thing like, Oh, what the hell, you know, if I'm going to, I'm gonna own them all. I might as well just start with any of this. If it's cheap, if it's cheap, I'll get it. Kind of thing. Now, I think that because yeah, I think that was pretty much it because that came out in what 2002. Two, yeah, 2002. So I was 12. So I was still pretty young and like you know, I, I've never really hidden it here. I've I've talked about it. Like my parents would take me to movies and stuff, but my parents were also very they're very protective because they were you know they. Right. Christian conservatives who, you know, they worry about the stuff that you're intaking as a thing. They've gotten much better, obviously. And I turned out not to be like that at all, which means that I was raised well enough to know good, bad, whatever, uh, and caring about human rights or whatever the situation is like, but I, I, I was always grateful that at the end of the day, when it came to stuff like that, that they didn't have to love it, but they always let me watch it. And buy them and have them in the house because there's nothing worse than saying you can't watch this thing or you can't do this thing because it just makes you want to do it more. Right. And actually makes it worse. Definitely in every which way I would. Right. You want to watch it more. Also, you start like you you think of it as a bigger deal than it is. (laughs) Like you start getting right. Where to be watching. Oh, cool. Whatever. So they definitely did that. And it was one of the first DVDs I ever owned. Um, and it was the first one of the franchise I definitely owned. Okay, that makes sense. Um, zombie movies kind of came and went for me, and I saw them; they're great. Uh, but then Halloween Peak came back twenty eighteen. I got just as hyped as I've always ever been. So I think it kind of sparked my interest back in the Halloween franchise, which was never dead. Um, but that they definitely had periods of dormancies when it was like kind of like it's kind of how I feel about Nightmare now. I love Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's been so long since I've heard anything. It's kind of like okay, well, I'll get excited again when I'm new reboot comes out or something like that <laughs> we'll figure that out then um but anyway that's where that's where i came to the franchise from and i was very excited to get into it so now here we are going back to the beginning as you were uh oh the babysitter murders sorry the uh <laughs> yeah, yeah i i dude i can't tell you how much we dodged a bullet with that i feel like like i said there's something about the title of halloween that's so simple and so again you call it halloween you have a po- the post I just want to talk about this poster. I want to talk about like the I, how simple it is because mm. it's a jack o' lantern and then a hand holding the knife next to it, and it's just the night he came home as the tagline. How evocative! How like absolutely already in. And I remember that VHS cover. I remember mm. owning like the DVDs with that. Now, granted, over the years they've changed that, and that's not what the Blu-ray and the 4Ks look like now. But like. I mean, you could still find them, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, the originals, But it, it was always so simple. So the Babysitter Murders was an absolute, like, travesty waiting to happen title-wise. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean, like, it's too wordy. Halloween, 
feels so Boom. In and out. simple. Yeah, and it works. And it's like, oh god, he came a killer came home on Halloween night. Like the poster sells that. Right. 100 percent Um, I agree with you all on that. It actually reminds me just like not only the poster, but like the the title sequence, the opening title sequence, same thing. Very simple, not to do a whole lot to it, but it was kind of so iconic that they still tried to like they try to do it all the way throughout and never quite felt the same or felt as good as you know, they've they've definitely tried though. And here here's one thing I we didn't really talk about this, and one of the reasons I'm very excited about this before we like really jump into this one. I want to take a moment to shout out the fact that part of the reason we're doing this is, and why I'm so excited to, is that there's no franchise that is as choose your own adventure as the <laughs> Halloween franchise has become over time. You're not wrong. Halloween, Halloween has the most complicated and ridiculous, convoluted timeline, convoluted <laughs> timeline that I've ever seen any franchise have in my life. And that's what I'm like. So here's how we're going to lay it out. I'm going to try to break it down into the separate timelines okay. as we go. Uh, but everything stems from Halloween. Every okay. every timeline basically stems from this original film outside of Halloween 3, which is out in its own like thing. Because Halloween is a movie within Halloween 3. Yeah. <laughs> so... Halloween take 3 is just take out in this... Yeah, like, take it out. It's in its own orbit, doing its own thing. So Halloween unless is the beginning. Unless, unless, real quick, I'll say unless, you, you, the, in, in the universe, Halloween, the movie, was more of a biographical tale of the actual incidents that happened on Halloween 1978. And now what we're seeing, so Jamie Lee Curtis is starring as... Jamie Lee Curtis... Is starring as Laurie Strode. As Laurie Strode, a real life person. I never thought about that, and now I'm like, actually, I would love that. So it's still in the franchise that way. This is just somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's fascinating, actually. But we oh have no God. we have no uh, confirmation on that. But if we want to jam it in there, that's how we're going to jam it in there. <laughs> All right, I'm here for it. Okay, so you go from there's there's two very distinct Laurie Strode timelines. Mm-hmm. Then there is a Dr. Lomas timeline. And then there's the Rob Zombie timelines. Now, that's the fascinating part is that you can go down any one of these rabbit holes and it gives you very different outcomes, no matter how you do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The fun thing is, is that from there, the two distinct Lori timelines are Halloween, Halloween 2. Halloween H2O in Halloween Resurrection. Yes. Then there's the Laurie Strode timeline of Halloween, Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. Correct. We are currently in the second timeline with Laurie Strode. The reason I say that is, spoiler alert, Laurie is murdered in Resurrection. Right. The new timeline pretends that nothing after Halloween happened. So we're in a, a new timeline. <laughs> so that actually reason. means, in our little rant that we always bring up, Halloween 2018 is misnamed in so many different ways. Because not only is it Halloween, I fucking doing hate the, the title whole, so much. They're doing I the fucking, the they're doing the whole fucking lazy thing where they're gonna. I'm just gonna name this movie after the first one, and I get this. But not only that, it is more egregious here than in the other one because not only is it not, is it a, not? A, it's a sequel still. 
the remake. So it's not even it should be Halloween 2 2018. Or <laughs> Halloween Returns. It was right there. No, I mean, but if you wanted to use the number thing, if you wanted to, if you wanted to be sure, if you the numbers, wanted to, it's actually Halloween 2. It's a remake of Halloween 2, not anything else. I get it. And even but then we have three Halloween 2s on know. our hands. <laughs> it would have just been simpler to call it Halloween Returns. Uh, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't. I don't understand the title thing. I'm not going to. It's fucking nonsense. All right. There's another timeline, and that yeah. is the Lomas timeline. That is Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 4, 5, and 6. So that's the Loom. Okay. That's what you're calling the Loomis timeline. Okay. That's what I'm sure. Okay. I'm not sure you got that. Because thing. everything from there stems from what happened but you're following him more than you're following anyone else now there are people out there who have said that actually there's a way to tie the original lori timeline with the original lomas timeline because the lomas timeline eventually kills lori off screen yeah in the car accident which the interesting part is by the way i don't know if we talked about this or not maybe we should maybe you're going to get there and i'm just jumping the gun the fact is that H2O almost included that. Right. And that's what I was getting to. Okay. Is that there's a, no, 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 you're fine. There is a world where people say that her being in witness protection when H2O starts is the fact that's why she's been dead, quote unquote, the whole time. But at the same time, I don't think it quite lines up because it, it could, but you have then you have to deal with all the court, uh, cult of thorn stuff, and right. I, I don't H two O one hundred percent goes every opposite direction of wanting to deal with the cult of thorn stuff. Well, the quite thing that I don't even know, and I don't even know if you know this or not, but it's actually deleted lines or lines, and a lot of like take a lot. Of, if you, I'm going to say this now, I'm going to get this out of the way. Taking shape with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is a book written by Dustin McNeil and Travis Mullins. And they also did Taking Shape 2. It's the best thing I've ever read about Halloween. It takes developing Halloween from script to screen. Goes through all the Halloweens. Like in-depth, detailed interviews. It's so great. And then Taking Shape 2. It goes into the lost sequels, so to speak. It's all the, the ones that were developed. And there were multitude of shit developed for Halloween that never actually happened. It goes into like 23 of them. Let's put it that way. And that's not even all of them. Those, those, those are the most significant ones. And that might lead to a Patreon bonus content, which we'll talk about soon. Maybe even later on in this episode. Um, but you know, I think, it, I believe it was in this book, the first one, Taking Shape, where they actually stated that there was actually a line, some kind of line about 
the car crash or faking her death, faking her death in a car crash in order to witness protection. So this stuff was actually considered put entry in to that H2O for whatever reason it was deleted out. So therefore it becomes much more open to that possibility, which is why you can I, say it's not a different timeline. I, I still assume that part of the reason that they did that was ultimately knowing that they didn't want to get into dealing with the cult of thorn. Um, yeah. which is a, a whole thing that eventually you guys will learn. We're going to have to talk about this stuff, but like there's a, there's a, whole thing about this cult that might have been involved with Michael's existence. It, it These movies get real convoluted real fast. Mm-hmm. As much as I adore them, they get real convoluted real quick. And so that's why there are so many timelines because every time someone wants to do something, they're like, screw it. We're just going to reset it. Right. Um, and I think that that's why it's so funny that it's happened so many times. Like Halloween four was like, we'll pick up where Halloween two kind of left off, but we're still going to kind of reset it and like, just dump Lori and move on. And we'll just use Lomas as the, you know, right. The, the, the tying factor and everything else. Yeah. And so it, it's just so fun to me. And then of course, zombie did his own thing and zombie would zombies probably likely would have continued too, but he had so many yeah. problems with, Miramax at the time and the stuff over there that thankfully the second one they kind of botched it uh theatrically with the editing and the theatrical cut of that movie is really really messy and not very good and yeah and enough that he would never have gone back and he he did I'll say this Halloween 2 is the better of his two movies I actually fully agree with you on that that's that's something I came around on during my more re- my I spoil not spoiler alert, but I actually watched the Halloween franchise. I want to say about a year or two ago. I do I tend to do this one a lot. I tend to watch through, um, and that was the first time I watched through and I actually did love Halloween two more than Halloween one um, for that exact reason because he got to do a lot of his own thing, which is what we'll get into during those episodes. Um, but also interesting, if you went into taking shape two, there actually was development on a third zombie. Uh, film, right, a third that's film what I mean. in the zombie universe, not directed by zombie. Uh, it actually sounded really kind of interesting. I'm actually, I can't wait to get to that at some point too. Um, but yeah, oh, I agree with your saying. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's another timeline in and of itself. Yeah. So basically, in saying all that, like, it's so funny that such a simple concept of Halloween ends up spawning this bigger than life thing that the franchise has become. But it all starts here in 1978 in maybe the most simplistic version of a film that you can possibly imagine. It's made for not a lot of money, $300,000 at the time goes on to make $70 million at the box office. By the time it's over Carpenter and Cundy and Deborah Hill are not like known names and quantities just yet. Like people know them, but they don't know them. You know what I'm saying? Like assault on three, Precinct 13 had happened. Carpenter had done a couple of TV movies, including an Elvis one starring Kurt Russell. Like he, he isn't just John Carpenter yet. Right. But, but he, he decided, huh? He did get to actually, he was just well known enough that he was able to forego some of it. He, he traded off some rights and they were able to get his name over the top. Correct. The film is John Carpenter's Halloween, which I will love forever and always every time the movie starts. Uh, but what's so fascinating is that they're, they're getting this movie together. 
Donald Pleasance is not even the first choice as Sam Lomas. Oh, they wanted uh, Hammer. It, they wanted Hammer. Yeah, they wanted <laughs> Hammer. They wanted and Peter Cushing. <laughs> they were the two. They were both the ones they wanted. They both turned them down. Pleasance didn't really want to make the movie. Uh, he was notoriously actually very drunk during one of the nights that he had to deliver a monologue, and everyone was super worried that he was not going to be able to deliver the monologue only for him to like absolutely knock it out of the park. Apparently Carpenter was scared of Pleasance. Like in more in a he is such a like bigger than life personality and he's just a very like stern type of dude and he he didn't really know how to work with him at first. Right. Which I find fascinating. Yeah, me as well. Me also, man. And then, of course, what happens? Pleasance fucking stays with the series for another 20 years, basically. Well, 15, but, like, he so stays he with it all the way through. Yeah. If he hadn't, if he hadn't passed, I guarantee you he would have been there in H2O. He would have done it. He would have done it because he just he ended up loving the character itself, I think. He just, like, got into it enough. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. And he helped write parts of the, he, the script for, yeah. yeah, with the dialogue. And it works. And he, I'll say this. The thing I'm most excited about to talk about as we go along is how much more manic and insane his performances get as the movies go. But he is always <laughs> such a highlight in these movies. I love him in this one, but specifically thinking about like the farther along we get, the more just outlandish the performances become. He's just totally oh, untethered and unhindered. I find it actually amusing, amazing because he was such a linchpin for me as well that I will say I like H2O a lot. But I'm definitely missing the, the, the Loomis of it. Resurrection, nothing. I mean, the zombie had their own version, which is fine. Um, but that's a different tale entirely. They've got a different character, actually. They call him Loomis, but he's definitely different. Not the same Sam Loomis. Oh, not even but, close to the same. But I love what Halloween 2018, and more specifically Halloween Kills does. We actually got to get Sam Loomis back in a mostly real way. It felt real, felt legitimate. Um honoring Pleasance in a way, like the best way we could have gotten it in a way. And it made it feel like a Halloween movie even more than Michael. I think almost the way Donald Pleasant feeling to feel like more of like a Halloween movie than, than Michael Myers himself does, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They're, they're, they've become a little bit of a uh, duo for me. Like they, they kind of go hand in hand. And that's right. what I've always liked is that basically Loomis's entire, I've been calling him Lomas this whole time. Uh, Loomis's whole yeah. thing is it, it's that you can say it kind of either way, to be honest. That's fine. You can say however you want to say, it. I know you're talking about that's the important thing. Yeah. Um, but Loomis's whole thing is like just the circling of insanity of some one person. So bent on keeping evil at bay and his right. obsession with Michael ends up being his total undoing and yet i can't get enough of it right so you know and here's the here's the thing about this movie in particular too the year this comes out a lot of the times when it came to horror films people were having to see them in like cd grindhouse theaters like you didn't get a lot of horror movies in multiplexes you weren't seeing a lot of these bigger horror films doing that unless it was like Psycho made by Alfred Hitchcock because it was a right. Hitchcock film. That was an event, but bigger horror films were not. But suddenly Halloween in 78 is being dropped in the middle of multiplexes across the country. Again, really leading to that feeling of any town USA and this concept that you don't have to leave 
your house necessarily or your town necessarily to be scared. Now, this movie that is set in a town that looks like any town that you are walking down in just about anywhere in America has this serial killer in the middle of it who has just escaped on Halloween night. It really added to that idea that this could happen anywhere and that you could have been, you could have been babysitter number six, Paul, you could have been babysitter number six. I could have been. And that's what I love. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot today as we're getting into this. And the thing that I love so much is that Halloween still stands out, still works and is still terrifying because everything about it, feels like it could happen to anyone at any time anywhere that is what is the lasting power of this film i do have a big point i want to make that's kind of related to it um but also before i go into this little tirade not tirade but little rant have you ever read the novelization of the film i actually haven't it's one of the things that i've always meant to do um i'm sure i could find it and finally sit down with it? I do want to I want to sit down with that at some point because I've read some things about it that are very interesting. One of the biggest things about Halloween that people rant and rave on, um, and it's something I agree with, to be completely honest, even though I'm hypocritical when it comes to zombie movies. I'll get to that too. But they don't get very much into detail about Michael. Michael is right. named once in the very beginning of the film by his parents. When his father comes home, he actually says, Michael. The rest of the time, it's basically him, it, the evil. He's credited as the shape. I mean, it's it's basically... Which I love, by the way. I love that. I love that credit. Right, I do. But that's been some of the biggest uh, approvals of Michael Myers is that people will say that he is not... He is pure evil. He is the boogeyman. There is no rhyme or reason. There's no reason why he became what he was. He's just pure evil. And it's a great thing to let our imagination fill in blanks. I, I, it's impressive. I read, I watched the black phone uh, so recently com- <laughs> for this. Cause I Dude, how fucking love black phone. So right. much. Oh my God. I talked about it last time. And I, I mentioned exactly one of the reasons I like this so much. We talked about this last week and last week's episode of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's us. It's not shocking, but it was the fact that we didn't get the background of, of the grabber. Uh, we didn't get the background of the mother who had secret powers as well, our second powers of our, as well. Imagination is so much more, valuable than people think it is at times and that's what they let you do for michael michael is a purebred evil character who had no background no rhyme or reason there's no reason why i mean even halloween too even carpenter kind of fucks this up a little bit with going into yep. the whole sibling angle and that and he agrees he hates the fact that it was we're going to get to that when we talk about halloween too um but it's it's amazing how that is and how much that's fucked up throughout the franchise not only by zombie i actually give zombie a pass because again, we'll get there when we get there. We'll talk about it more. But one of the reasons they give it a pass is that if you're going to remake something, that's your job to do whatever you want with it. And if you decide that you're going to go into the background, then go into the background. That that was his choice to make. Whether or not it's a good one for the Halloween, that's what we'll, we'll debate about, I'm sure. Um, but that I give a pass. But the rest of the Halloweens that are supposed to be in this universe sunk in, they should have picked up on that, and and they didn't. But what's interesting about that is from what I've read, the first, the novelization does do that. It does make that mistake and goes into its details, but it actually has served as the basis for some things that have gone on throughout Halloween 2, even Halloween right. 3, and more. Because they talk about the Sam Hain references. Sam Hain's reference oh, yeah. in Halloween 2, it goes, Sam Hain is a big part of Halloween 3. Um, a huge part. About, right? 
and it gives Michael this whole reason to be evil. And I read people love the book for that reason. So I'm kind of interested to see now, given how much I don't like that aspect of things. But it's interesting to see how something that's so universally loved, like the movie is, how that feels when I read it. I know it also has to do with The Call of Thorns, which also took a lot out of the first novelization to a degree. Um, very interesting takes. I really do want to read it. I think one of these days I will have to find it and read it. Just by uh, yeah, I mean, look, I it's one of those that's it's always it's actually we've used this reference a couple of times to White Whale because it's a very notoriously out of print at this point and it's very hard to find like a decent copy. But I might just start uh browsing some used bookstores, see if I can kind of get this and pick it up. But what again, I'll say it's it's fascinating to me that this franchise is so long now like we're 44 years later here we are still talking about the original and it's still going you know 44 years later there is a sequel coming out still to this movie that came out in 1978 and that's pretty pretty remarkable actually uh and it's it's it shows the lasting power of michael as a presence and as a character of more of a more of a presence than a character because Michael's really not a character. He he's a monster. He's, he's the shape. Like you said, like he's really only named the one time in this movie. Now, granted over time, we have humanized him in different ways and he's become known as Michael more and more because there's been more movies, but he's a, it's an iconic look. It's an iconic feeling character. He's one of the more interesting slasher characters in a lot of ways, because I think he has a very profound feel that feels different than everyone else around him it's a very simple design. It's a dude wearing a suit in a mask. Like it's so, it's so funny that it's so iconic because there's nothing different other than a jumpsuit in a white mask. And yet that image has been seared across our minds for almost 50 years. Not just a mask. Like it's a fucking William Shatner mask. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Now (laughs) the, the, the mask has evolved. For yeah. better or worse, over time, but and back yeah, the and first forth, one's yeah. just a—it's just a Kirk mask. <laughs> Kirk mask just fucked a little bit. They painted a white and they kind of stretched it out a little bit and everything else. But yeah, that's all it was. That's make that's what's funny. Right? It's so iconic. Like this whole movie, like has no idea, and I guess this is to its benefit. It has no idea how iconic it really is. As no like when they're making it, and that's the best way to be because I think a lot of times all the sequels and sequels in general sometimes, shall we say, take the original too preciously in a way yeah. it's like they tread okay i gotta this is all iconic stuff we gotta like and the truth is sometimes you make your best work when you just make decisions because they work sometimes things work and they're just they work for mistake reasons you can't recreate lightning in a bottle so just do your own thing and like well i'm not saying i'm not trying to say give you license to go to fuck around with things that were not in one but there's it, it, something to be said about just doing your artist's work, going from your gut, going from your soul, and just going on instinct. That's what happened here. Um, so it's funny how we say this also, but we were 55 minutes in. We really haven't started going into the movie yet. So I know. Banter aside, it's just all Halloween banter. So. It's Halloween banter because it, there's a lot to talk about. Again, there's 12 of these movies <laughs> right. that are released right now That with another one on the way. But like – there's a lot that you have to kind of break down before you can really talk about it. Now we've touched on it throughout, but there you have to kind of lay the groundwork. There's a right. lot here and there you'll, you'll hear us continue to do that as we go along because right. 
each of these movies comes with its own interesting baggage of sorts in the production or where it was going or what it was doing. And we also have to remember, and we don't talk about this nearly enough. These movies were not meant to be sequelized, right? When Halloween was conceived, Carpenter saw it as an anthology series, right? Which is why when Halloween blew up and they asked him to do a second one, he goes, fine, I'll do it. But this is going to be a one-off sequel, and then we're going to continue from there. But at that point, people liked Michael too much and rejected Halloween 3 outright. And the interesting thing about that, again, we'll get into it more, is I wonder how it would have been if the marketing hadn't been, like, just non-existence about, like, like if they had come forth with everything going, this is not a Michael Myers movie. This is a anthology movie or whatever because like, a lot of people went especially today pre-internet pre what we we're talking about before where we, now we know from the get-go back then we knew nothing until like we sat down in the theaters like if we got a title we're like oh we got a title we got a poster got a poster but like even trailers weren't really a thing so all of a sudden people sat down and go all right halloween three season of the witch what's michael up to now and there's no michael in the movie you got fucking pissed i got pissed yeah there was no michael in the movie because it was called Halloween three and they had been conditioned right. to that point that Halloween meant the Michael Mike. Myers. Right. And otherwise. That's why they actually legitimately had to make the next movie called The Return of Michael Myers. He's in it. <laughs> but um, but I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's what it was. And Carpenter definitely took a paycheck for the second one, I think, more than anything else. He, he we'll get into that during Halloween two as well. He does not that's not some of his best work and he knows it, even though in retrospect it's still a passable, likable film. Still fun to watch overall. Um so a lot to like but it doesn't match this one at all no 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 no, no, no. uh i i will eventually rank the franchise too but i don't have halloween 2 like super high it's somewhere very middle of the road uh for me but guess what we're not talking about halloween 2 tonight we're talking about halloween uh 1978's john carpenter classic and uh, yeah i'm gonna call it a classic not even just a modern classic it it is a classic for all intents and purposes and we open on halloween night of 1963 and michael myers at six years old murders his sister judith with the kitchen knife in a totally brilliant opening that is done in a first person perspective Mm -hmm. already showing you how intense this movie is going to be in a lot of ways by putting you in the eyes of the killer watching someone murdered in front of you Mm -hmm. it is such a chilling chilling brilliant way to open the film i agree 100 percent um one interesting thing about that makes it even better like it, it, it sometimes i don't know why but sometimes when something's a little wonky it actually, for whatever reason, endears me to the film more. And 80s are a big part of that. Uh, and as I know it's a 78, same type of situation. Because if you look at it, you watch the point of view, and you see him, like, you see him, like, look at the knife. <laughs> the camera looks at yeah. the knife. Like, that wouldn't happen, right? That would, I, no. Killer stuff would go like this and go ahead and go. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's literally for the audience to see. But like at the same time, it doesn't matter. Like the realism aside, or like about it, or the fact that like he's like barely, you barely really touch the way it's going. But it still works for the atmosphere of what they're going for, and it makes an iconic opening for certain. Um, I love that whole bit, bit of it. Oh, I do too. Also, I just came up with something that I want to pitch to you real quick. Oh, on air pitch. Okay, on air pitch. Is there a world where we have enough time? to throw the fog into the mix of us doing this because people look at the fog as Lori on the run after Halloween two. So can we watch the fog after Halloween two before we do Halloween three as a little in between? Yeah. Is there a world where we could do that? We have built in some time in case we had scheduled mishaps. I could see us pausing and doing the interquel that could be fun right are we gonna like we'd have to are we have to like are we treating it as if it is a Halloween movie yeah that's what we're saying i think it's gonna i think it's gonna confuse a lot of people upon watching going wait what but you know what yeah, yeah but let's do it I, that's why i'm pitching this though right because the idea is if we're already going like we're gonna do halloween three right yeah, it's already cool. the bonkers non-existent version of the sequel, right? Yeah. I Why mean, not just I I'm not gonna say definitively yes or no right this second, but I'm leaning yes. So we'll 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 talk about that more as we get there. We still at least we'll figure it out by next week when we do Halloween too. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, I just mind. think there's something uh if you see the fog again, I'm okay with watching the fog again. So <laughs> just a thing I thought I would uh and worst comes to worst, we can call it. If people don't agree with the uh, with that, it's not that's not in their head canon, and they're not going to accept it as the pure, if it's an argument of purity. We can just say it was a one off in between diversion. And we're back. Maybe we yeah, don't, maybe we don't put it in be, the, maybe we don't put it in the franchise rankings. How about that? Maybe that. Maybe yeah, that's how I just think it would be very fun. And okay. there's, I've heard that. Uh, I've just heard that for so long that I think it'd be interesting to treat it as part of what we're doing. Why the fuck that? We already have how many timelines we have. Sure. Why not? Let's do it. We'll do yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, to your point, yeah, the the realism of it doesn't matter to me because it's more chilling to be in the eyes of a serial killer. And what I love about this, too, is that there's so much talk about Michael's eyes through the movie and like how Loomis sees him in this idea that to him, you know, there's nothing but darkness. Like there was nothing, there's nothing there. He's nothing but evil, like pure evil. So to hear that repeated throughout the movie just reiterates how unsettling it is to open the movie from the perspective of that, because that means you opened the film from the eyes of the killer who is nothing but pure evil. And you're caught in the middle of it. Yep. Uh, that's a great point. It's a very great point. Um, like, isn't that crazy to think about? 
How unnerving is that? Extremely unnerving. And to your point, it is actually going to be like <clears throat> exactly what you said it is. She was about being the in the neighborhood or whatever. Because the whole thing is in a suburban neighborhood. It's in the very like in the beginning, also, not just obviously yeah, uh, it's because it's still Haddonfield. Still Haddonfield. But that killer's home, like it looks like a completely middle class suburban household. Well done, well cupped up. These are not like Rob Zombies, not like the the alcoholic father, the stripper mother. None of that happening. This is all completely. It's a normal family. Normal family. Yeah, like he was raised totally normal. It seems like, as far as we're aware, like his sister cared about him very much. Now, was she hanging out with her boyfriend on Halloween instead of taking Michael out? Yeah, that's very true. But it's not like what you see in the zombie movies, which we'll get into. Like this is clearly a pretty functioning, normal family, right? As far as we know, I mean, we never get to hear much else of it. Obviously, this is the only time we ever see the Myers family, per se. Right. As we say, given, well, the Laurie side of it. Well, not this film. Not in this film, anyway. Correct. <laughs> so. correct. It, but so, you know, it's a very quick scene. Michael is six years old, yep. and he spends the next 15 years in Smith Grove <laughs> Sanitarium. Although I love uh, it's movie math. By the way, he's six years old here. He spends fifteen years in the in the Smith Sanatorium. How how does that make him? So fifteen plus six that would be twenty one. Is not twenty three like the credits say? No, probably not. <laughs> Again, those little things that like attention detail people in these days and age would be like, "What the fuck? They don't even care about their own movie. They're saying he's twenty three. He can't be twenty three. Like people go off on it. Back in the day." whatever a little movie mishap it's all good Not yeah it, it, no. it's what it is i i accept stuff like that like yeah, look, that's 21 23 doesn't matter like to me at least right it doesn't and it shouldn't i, I guess that's my little commentary on today's no like, i agree with film you. twitter uh what happens on film all twitter right. sometimes all right it's the it's my time <laughs> oh boy here we it's go. my it's 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 my time we're tangenting a little bit here oh. dear film twitter just because movies don't always get it right or sequels change things doesn't mean that the people don't care about the thing that you think they care about. Furthermore, let the story play out before you start bitching about stuff for the sake of bitching about it. I saw this happening so much over Obi-Wan in the run of it because you are so obsessed with this idea that Star Wars fans think they know Star Wars better than anyone else, but Obi-Wan went out of its way to make sure that everything it was doing tied to exactly what it was known for being in Star Wars. And the lines of dialogue that mattered were connected. The things that had been set out in the original movies and the prequels mattered, and they tied it together as nicely as they could. And it worked. And yet y'all kept complaining that it broke canon or anything else Guess what? Maybe you guys don't know how to fucking read your media. Maybe it's time for you guys to take some media literacy courses. Fucking learn. I'm not saying you have to like it, but to pretend that somehow that they broke canon or that Halloween is breaking canon or that any of these things are breaking canon is foolish nonsense and you need to get over yourselves. Halloween is a perfect example of why this is the way that it is. Holy shit, you guys. Talk about breaking canon. We have four very distinct timelines 
that Michael Myers is hanging out in, and yet we're all fucking cool with it. You know why? Because we like the movies. It's really not that serious. Stop being so fucking beholding to shit to the point that you think that it can't be changed or whatever. Like, let it be. Enjoy it. Stop being fucking nonsensical about this shit and grow the fuck up. If I had a rotocaster, it'd be giving the big applause and behind you, or maybe... I actually want to do the dun 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 dun, dun like the presidential kind of <laughs> thing behind you. I was going to interject, like, but I agree with everything you're saying, and like, I was. Am like, I uh, wrong? Let him ride. Let him ride. No, completely not. I completely, completely agree with you. I'm right there with you. <sighs> don't let judge something. Ride. First of all, especially a TV series, don't judge something until it's over. You can like like or not like an episode per se, but don't like pick point reasons like that until you see how it plays out. If it played out at the end that you didn't like it, then you can have a conversation about it. Otherwise, let it go. Let people explain. Let the story explain itself, and then make your decision. I think Otherwise, all of these people could learn to watch Frozen. Really listen to what Elsa's saying. Let it go, motherfuckers. <laughs> Fucking relax. Like it, it's oh, cool. I promise. When it's a different Frozen than I did, and she definitely didn't use any motherfuckers in there. But I don't know. I I saw one. I think Sam Jackson dubbed over it. It's great. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm looking at. But the point let it is, go, motherfuckers, let it go. Uh, just fucking let it be, man. Like, li- or listen to the Beatles. Let it fucking be. Well, like, Eddie, one. Let it be. Let it fucking be. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, it's really not that fucking serious. And I I know that I'm out here. I say this stuff all the time. But, like, it's it's so true. Just, it, like, engage with the stuff on its level. Stop trying right. to engage with it on the thing that you're putting on it. It's not fair. I agree. Just let it ride. If any of us can sit here and watch how many versions of the Halloween franchise or the Evil Dead franchise whose continuity is so beyond broken at this point that it's like <laughs> does but it doesn't matter. It's part of the charm. <laughs> Just it doesn't enjoy shit. Right. It doesn't have to matter. Just enjoy shit's the way to go. <sighs> enjoy it. Like you can there is definitely I think there's a medium middle ground to be had. I do think that like creators should at least Make sure they're doing doing their best to yes. avoid things like this here and there. Um, but it is also the fans got to meet you halfway. You got to understand this is like this is a fictional characters, fictional world. This is a world where like Michael Myers fucking <laughs> in one time is pure evil, another time he's like a cult like being from the cult thorn. Another times he's he's killing. It doesn't matter. He's it's all he's an aspects. abused child in another one. Like right. <laughs> He he grew up to be evil. He wasn't born evil. Right. That is what it is. We have to accept these things are different variations. It's like you're going to have a different take on things. It's a different. Y'all, I think use the multiverse as your guide. Maybe it's a multiverse. Maybe it happened just a little bit off. And it's just a little sliver up. And it's okay to have a little sliver up. It's still match up story-wise in the end. It's totally fine. And y'all need to relax. You want to know why George Lucas left? Because you guys kept fucking complaining. <laughs> Lucas doesn't want to do it anymore. He was right. like, screw it. I'm giving it to Disney. You guys can <laughs> yell at the Disney's, you know, shareholders or whatever. Fine. Go yell at the suits. I'm out. And more people want Lucas back to that you could ever possibly imagine. It's funny how that works. But <laughs> it's almost like you all are never going to be happy unless you just relax. Relax. Fucking. Frankie relax. says, fucking relax. <laughs> Put that on a goddamn shirt. I'll fucking buy it. 
I think we're just going to have to call this the two mediocre white dudes on fucking Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I I get very passionate, and I, I've been told that I swear like a sailor. And I apologize, but there's a reason that our podcast says that we are explicit on every platform. That's true, because we are. We certainly are. Um, let's move on. Let's get us back on track. We had the opening sequence. We jumped forward 15 years to find Dr. Loomis trial, uh, going with the nurse to transfer Michael from Smith's Grove to a different facility because of the law. It doesn't matter. It's a good conversation that sets up where we are. We get to see who Loomis is. Get to see Loomis' take on him. You don't need a whole lot to establish that Loomis thinks that Michael is pure evil and he's scared of him. Um, and it's a great little momentary sequel. When you get up to the oh, moment, you get up to the Smith's Grove, you see the patients are all wandering around, and the nurse goes, oh, I wonder why they let him wander around. <laughs> Yeah. And is that normal? And it's like, no, this is not. And, you know, I want to shout out the great Nancy Stevens uh, who plays this character because she has been Marion Chambers in every capacity when they have brought her back, whether it was Halloween 2, whether it was H2O, whether it was uh, Halloween Kills. She's always come back and I've always Mm -hmm. loved that. Um, It's just a nice bit of continuity every single time. That, by the way, is one thing you have to give 2018 and Halloween Kills credit for. And if you have your differences with the films, and it's fine. You all have differences. The fact that they are very um, reverential reverential to the people who are involved, to the point of like, we're going to get to people who, like Nancy Stevens was barely in this movie. I don't think she was credited as anything. Like nurse. Was she credited as a nurse? Uh, I believe it's under Marion Chambers, but I would I would have to look at the okay. cast list again. Right. I don't remember. Either way, I wasn't sure that was one of the things that the name came afterwards possible. I don't know. Either way. People like that, they go back and they found these characters and why, and try to get the same actors for the most part and try to get them back involved to play the same characters again. Uh, so it's very kind of cool to how the, the whole new franchise or the whole new trilogy, rather, has definitely played with the original film and given you little nip, like little Easter eggs of stuff that they didn't need to, but and then but it wasn't overdone in a way either though. They were just name drop people that they name drop before people from the same town. Just gives it a kind of in home continuity, which was felt nice. Also, I gotta say, you know, we talk about this a lot in this idea that this is one of the standout iconic horror films, but it was built off the backs of other horror films before it, obviously, like Black Christmas and of course Psycho. Donald Pleasance's Sam Lomas is not the first character in a horror slasher film to be named Sam Loomis because that is also one of the main characters in Psycho. This is such a clever nod, to be honest with you. Um, I've always loved that because there's something about the way they handle that. Like John Gavin played him in the original film of Psycho. I just kind of like this as a, love letter to that and again what is nancy's name marion marion crane anybody <laughs> correct yes. instead of marion crane it's marion chambers mm-hmm. but it, it it's very clearly a callback to psycho in a lot of ways and i i find that so kind of cool i mean what a neat tie-in i fully agree i fully agree um i loved so much about her coming back and it's just a nice little way that they can get the, the nice little Easter egg that means something. There's definitely a way you can do an Easter egg or do a, a fan service, if you will, 
this is a good way to do it. Yeah. So they're being at Smith's Grove, Michael attacks them uh, as Loomis gets out of the car and he's looking around and he sees everything. Michael climbs up the car. He starts to attack Marion slams his hand on the window it's it's a great sequence actually it, it's very very tense very terrifying it works really well he steals the car he throws her out steals the car and he is on his way back evil has escaped fully and he is on his way back to Haddonfield that's right it's a scary time it's a scary time yeah. jump forward go the next morning and you got uh, the here's an interesting bit when it comes to the franchise history so Laurie Strode hit her. You meet Laurie Strode, seventeen-year-old girl, um, who, by the way, is probably and rightfully the greatest of the final girls. Um, oh, a hundred percent at this point. She's defined. She's the def- definition of a final girl. Um, and it's weird that she ended up creating a lot of tropes that weren't necessarily intended. Um, for example, Halloween was always told to be like the, the had this case of it was a morality tale and like it pushes that trope of that if you have sex you're gonna die that friday 13th completely capitalized on um uh yes but it wasn't meant that way because laurie was never meant to be anything more than just an average girl who was a little smarter a little bookish um it wasn't that she was against any of this stuff she talks about going out with ben trammer she talks about a lot she doesn't care she spokes she actually spokes up with uh with uh, Annie in the car at some point. I mean, this is not someone who's like very much completely. They so I think they took the wrong things and amplified that to make their own little horror trope, or whatever. But it is a great character, and that's the important thing. She's a great, uh, relatable character to a degree. She's that not quite popular, not quite. She's not an outcast per se. Never hear her being an outcast. But she's not like a really no. popular either. She's just that um, teenage American girl. Um, and and I, part I mean. I'm sorry, but oh, sorry. I was gonna say, and to your point, she is, and I gotta love Jamie Lee Curtis's casting because she really sells it. Yes, she makes. She is a phenomenal actress who I don't think has ever gotten quite the acclaim she should have gotten. Um, beyond Halloween, she's a great in other things as well. But I mean, this is where she definitely made her mark, obviously. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, the first time we meet her, her father, who we never see, we never seen Laurie's parents except for this woman we see your father that's it the entire time her father is a realtor and says drop off this key at the old myers house for for later on or whatever which in terms of everything that we know now it's fine a normal thing he runs a little realty daughter gonna do a favor for her now given that like what happens later on and we discover in like halloween 2 <laughs> that <laughs> laurie strode is really <laughs> michael myers sister Dad must know about this. So dad's pretty kind of a sick favor for dad to ask. Go back to the place where your brother killed your sister and leave, leave this key out. And you were there when it happened. <laughs> you were there when it happened. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, those kind of things. It like, doesn't matter. It's all about, obviously, that wasn't any intent behind this at all. It's just happy. It's one of those kind of funny happenstances when you watch franchises. You go back, you have these thoughts that run through your head. That ran through my head when I watched Halloween 2 last time. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> It's just so funny, one of those, you know, Whoops. how you think about these things in hindsight once you have more. Like, it's not a thing you really might think about very frequently, but that, very funny to me. Um, <laughs> damn, Dad. Now, damn it, Dad. What are you doing? 
Now, I don't want to fix it on because as far as we know, in Halloween, Laurie Strode is Laurie Strode, and there's no thing. And that's very important, I think, as far as it goes. So that's the last time it, I think I'll try to talk about the sister of the relationship. Nah, it does not exist as of yet. And again, we got to say, man, what's so interesting is who is she the daughter of in real life? Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of Janet Lee, the star of Psycho. Again, very this movie ties back a lot to Psycho in a lot of ways. I actually think that they make a really good double feature because I think that they're both the best versions of a first film in a franchise that like does things very differently and like kind of lights the world on fire as far as slasher films is concerned. Right. Agreed. Fully agreed. Uh, they're both, they're definitely horror classics. Like if there's a few horror classics in this world, those are two of the, and definitely top 10. Uh, of all time. Oh, yes. Might be fighting for one and two, to be honest with you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But to be honest, probably. So we pick up 1978. Uh, Loomis is now on his way to Haddonfield because he knows that Michael is going home. You know, that, again, what was the tagline of the film? The night he came home and he knows exactly where Michael's headed. Michael, apparently he steals the car. He kills a mechanic, takes the coveralls, gets it, you know, gets all the things he needs and grabs a mask from the local hardware store. He breaks in. Uh, and we have a whole scene where they're very confused about why, you know, the a hardware stores. Are, yeah. <laughs> And everyone's going, you know, the alarm's going off and they're going, someone broke into the store and took some random stuff, you know, right. but it's probably just a bunch of kids. It's Halloween where we assume it's just, you know, kids. You always around. think it's kids, dad. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I don't know why. She's such like a typical, like, he's not an archetype type character. She's the, the uh, promiscuous, um, just not necessarily a bad girl, but like, she's not, but she's the antithesis of the 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 all American sweetheart girl that that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is, um, and but I, I just, love Nancy Keys. I uh, do. She's so good. She's so good. She worked with Carpenter a few times, obviously, because yeah. she was also in Assault on Precinct Thirteen. She's in The Fog. She's in Halloween Two. She was in Halloween Three. Like she really only worked with Carpenter for the most part. She did like one other movie called The Sea Gypsies, and that was it. Yeah. And then she just stopped acting. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like, yeah, Halloween 3 was her last movie, I think. Her last feature film, I think it ever was, which is interesting. Yeah. It's funny that she's in Halloween 3 as a different character, too. Totally standalone, like a different, totally different character entirely, which is very interesting when it comes to the whole canon weird yeah. timeline thing. But either way, I do like she, she does do a great job here. She does a great job in all her films. 
think the only film I haven't seen of hers is the uh, the Sea Gypsies one. That's but that's not exactly a cameo in that. I think or a small small role in that as well. But um, yeah, you know, you're right though. It, it is where we get with her, Annie. Um, we before we go into that part of it though, we should just touch base. Really going back, I remember that because she Lori does go to the Myers house, drops the key off, and we see Michael Myers from the behind the door. So Michael sees her. And that, my friends, is what really drives forward the uh, the stalking thing. It's not about her being his sister. It's the fact that she was happened to be the person who went on to the My- Myers property when Myers was home. Yeah, Michael sees her and, and becomes fixated on her because of that. This also becomes the first time we really start to hear the Michael breathing, uh, yes. which becomes I like so iconic in my opinion as the movies go, but especially in this one. And Dean Cundy, who did all the films um, DP stuff, he is so remarkable in capturing like this kind of I want to say emotionless fear of just like leaving a shot on Michael long enough that you hear the breathing and it's just very unnerving and it really works and he does it a lot. And so throughout the rest of the day, while Lori is out, we see Michael slowly just kind of watching Lori following her in a car on the streets, like anywhere she kind of looks, Michael's just kind of there and it's always just standing. It very just, very creepy and i love that because again you know you asked about this earlier with these audiences like how people react to it now and i think that the truth of the matter is is it doesn't matter how old you are watching this i think but if you watch it especially when you're young it's going to be unnerving because you really haven't theoretically you have probably not seen a whole lot of horror movies so you're not going to feel the dated nature of the movie because, yeah, it feels like a 1970s horror film. But it's so timeless because it feels like it could have been anyone at any time. I think that you still gel with it. Now, do I hear the contrarian to that at this point? Yeah, I do. There's all these people who think that 2018 is the better movie because it's gorier and more you know, vicious. But it's like that's not what makes Halloween scary. And that's what makes this movie so special and stand out still is that it's not about that. It's about the tension and the fear and the fact that the music is pulsating the entire time, getting under your skin. Carpenter's score is a big part of why this movie is so scary because it's constantly playing on your nerves. I was going to save that for another, like it's its own topic, but but you already broached it. John Carpenter's yeah. score is a separate character in the film. And John Carpenter, that's not just true for Halloween. When John Carpenter scores a film, it's so strange that it's just usually just a synth score. It's usually a very simple score. Yet, my God, it fucking works for the movies it, it, that he scores. And this is specifically entirely, the whole film has a basically, not it's not like a very variant score. There's like the main Halloween theme when you hear the, that one, which is always scary. And there's this other like, theme that plays a yeah. thing that plays a lot and that's like throughout the entire film and yet it just ratchets the tension up more and more it's it's, mm-hmm. it's brilliant an absolutely brilliant score and it, it's why i would have john carpenter score almost anything i do because he just he gets it. i mean look firestarter came out this year the movie's terrible but the, his score for it is amazing i want to actually do want to watch it just for carpenter score i will watch it 
Yeah, I mean, I and I'm I seriously, I think my letterbox review is two was two stars, and it literally said these two stars are for John Carpenter's score and his score alone. Like <laughs> that's how good the score is, and that's how he always is. Every time he does it, he comes to play, and he really creates a mood. And so does Cundy. Like Dean Cundy's cinematography similarly creates the mood. It creates the tension. Again, he put you in the eyes of the killer earlier on. There's a lot of these like longer lingering shots on Michael that are just fucking terrifying. And that's why it works. And the truth of the matter is, is as we keep saying, this is a very simple movie. Lori's going about her day after she has to go to school. She's going about her day. She's got to watch these kids on Halloween night, you know, she's going to go over. She's going to hang out with Tommy Doyle because Tommy, you know, is her kid that she babysits all the time. And they're going to hang out on Halloween and she's just going to have a Halloween night. Like she just wants to be a normal teenage girl. Yep. But for some reason, fate has intervened and put Michael and Lori fucking center stage for whatever this is, which is he's the boogeyman. And I gotta say, one of the things about it is if there is a if there is a tale to be had about Nancy versus her friends, it's not about being promiscuous and being whatever. It's about the fact that Nancy, Nancy, you mean Lori? Lori, yeah, I kept saying Lori. You know what I know what it is? I found that I found this. I had been fixated on this since I read about this at one point. Do you know, did you know? Maybe you probably did know. And I actually knew this at one point, but I just rediscovered that Lori House, the same house that Nancy Thompson from the uh-huh. Elm Street is in. That's just a uh-huh. great moment. Both those houses. So funny. That's so fucking awesome. So, and Nancy's another great final girl, by the way, which we'll get into at some point. But uh, Lori, but Lori's curl character is not about being promiscuous or being whatever. It's about that Lori's character, Lori pays attention to things um, around her. Like Lori watches her, watches what's going on. She notices the boogeyman a bunch of times. She's a nerd by it. She, more than anybody else, it's not that she has to act on it because she's just a kid. She's just a 17 year old. She doesn't really know exactly what's going on. But she keeps her eyes open. And that's what eventually does save her in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, shout out to Deborah Hill and John Carpenter for the script. And there's a real there's a real build with these characters that I find super fascinating um, yeah. because they feel real. They feel mm-hmm. like real teenagers that are real people. And, you know, PJ Souls obviously plays Linda and Nancy Keys is again as Annie, like the camaraderie between the three of them, like there's a lot of ragging a little bit on Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori, just because she's, she's certainly more reserved than her friends. Right. Uh, but they still care. Yeah. But she still cares. And they, her friends still care about her, obviously. A hundred percent. That's the greatest part of that. There's not the bullying things, which gets over, I think, which obviously gets overplayed in horror movies. Sometimes this is just like kids ragging. I may rag on Annie too, for being, for being well, for being promiscuous in a way, like yeah. joking about all the stuff he's going to do. I need a place to do this and all this. And they, but it's okay. It's all good. They all know that they're just make having fun with each other. It's good. It's good for the movie. No, it's great for the movie, and it really works. And <laughs> I think that's what continues to make this movie special because there's really not a high body count in this movie. There's no. not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of death. But it's it's that there is death, and it's memorable because it's a small cast that is hunted one by one by a dude who's just stalking people like the boogeyman. I mean, look, truth of the matter is, is that when you look at the stuff that happens to Annie, he kind of toys with her. Oh yeah. Like 
he he's straight oh, up in that house for like 10 15 minutes before he finally kills her let me let me let me interject right there and say that's one thing that i think has been kind of lost in a way is that the character if you take halloween as a standalone film it's tough to do at this point i really i really took a job i, I watched this again today i really wanted to try to look at this as best i could saying i have not seen any of these sequels i don't know anything about michael myers what do i get from michael myers just from this movie and he is pure evil but there's a playful side to his evil he likes setting things up the whole scene with him he's dressed as a ghost the whole scene where, like he does set up the judith myers uh, headstone which is a great payoff from a, a, a scene earlier on in the film when donald pleasant dr loomis goes to the grave you're looking for it and you know you, it's kind of greatly played these damn kids they're you know that, that whole yeah and sam loomis knows something's going on but like it kind of like forgets it, like and the audience kind of forgets it too, because like okay, well he took the stuff. So, but then it comes back in this great glorious ways, and as Laurie gets to find it on the bed with the Judith Myers headstone, like oh that's where it is, holy shit, holy shit. Um, but it's it, it's all about uh, what Michael would do, and that's what I think gets lost a bit. Michael's a playful. It's, it's playful, maybe the wrong word, but it's, it's not exactly. No, he's toying. With it. He's toying with it. It's an evil side of things. He does do that kind of thing to set it up. It's not just death. It's again, not about the death. It's not playing with no, right. And he's pure evil. He's the boogeyman. He's not in it for anything other than the sake of doing it. It's right. something that happens to Annie too, because Annie he toys with Annie before he finally kills her. Like this is a very common theme throughout the whole thing. Right. Hence why I enjoy it so much. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that at the end of the day. I wouldn't change a single thing about this because it it is so specific to this movie and what it's doing. I need it to stay this way, you know, because this is this is Halloween to me. The simple man known as the shape stalking people with no with no rhyme or reason. And that's what's still so scary about it is there's really no rhyme or reason. And that's what Loomis keeps saying too. It, you know, he's pure evil. And of course, you know, Brackett even says, you know, if this is true and anyone gets hurt, I'm blaming you. He's like, damn you for letting him escape, even though it really didn't have to do with him. But he's blaming Loomis for the fact that this is happening because Loomis goes to them. He goes, look, this dude escaped. He's coming back here. Right. And they're all looking at him like he's crazy. Right. Well, that's the funny thing about it because Sam, he gets all the blame because he's talking to the administrator. And he's like, and, well, damn you for letting it happen, letting this uh, happen or whatever. And he's like, I did say everything. I did tell you everything, and you totally yeah. ignored me. Uh, he's always been trying to tell people that he needed to stay locked up. Right. That was the whole thing. And so, again, it's just really, really smart writing. It's really great character work. And I really give Pleasance a lot of credit for the way that it's handled because I don't think that Loomis would have been quite as interesting. Had he not been kind of made to be the villain because everyone keeps flipping it on him. And here's the other thing. He and Laurie don't meet in the movie until the final scene. Like that's a really important thing. There's really no interaction between the two of them. Fully agree. I fully agree. It's funny. It's funny you say that because it's exactly the case. There's not a lot of interaction between any of the, the, the leads in the whole film. When you get Loomis, 
and Loomis and uh, Lori get a very brief interaction at the end. Loomis and Michael get a very brief interaction at the end. And the beginning, obviously. <laughs> the beginning very is all small. Very, very small, but barely the whole thing. And that's what's cool. And yet, they drive the whole story forward. And that's what's great about it. Yeah, because it's, you know, we see a lot of movies these days where there's a lot of A, B, and C type subplots, and they all feel like they're kind of working independently. The A, B, and C plot lines in this movie are all interconnected in like mm-hmm. such a specific way that the drive feels the same no matter what. Everything is leading to one culminating moment. And I've always really appreciated that because it could be easy to feel like any of these characters get lost in it or don't ultimately matter. But the truth is, is that every one of the characters matters. Every single one of them. And that's what's great about it. So take a small cast and you have to give them every have their own purpose. I remember sitting down at the end and watching the cast. I don't usually do that. Not all, at least not often. Like I said, actually said to watch the credits go by. It's like there's not many characters there at all. It's not some glowing epic at all. It's a very small cast. But yeah, everyone's like, yep, they had their moment. Yep, they had their moment. Yep, they had their moment. Yeah, and I think that's a really special thing. And, like, the truth is, is that once Michael starts going one by one, it's just kind of fascinating watching it play out. But I do get some satisfaction at Loomis having a little bit of fun all things being equal. Also, there's a great moment with him where he scares the, the kids. <laughs> I was, was going to bring that up. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's so good. It's such a great moment because he, he's kind of seen these kids around and they're kind of dicks. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to fuck with these kids. Hey, get your ass away from there. <laughs> oh God. And they run off and hit the, there's the smile on his face. <laughs> I was waiting. I watched the movie. I'm like, I'm going to bring I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to bring this up on the podcast and you just beat me to it. I'm happy to do it because we're on the same wavelength as usual. Exactly. It's like the one smile he has in his face the entire movie because he's had so much fun with it. And it is well, chef's kiss. It's that moment you need to really glom onto the character in a way beyond. It the humanizes him. It totally humanizes him. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Because <sighs> the whole time, it's so good. And because we see him this whole time as kind of like a crazy person. Right. And he is. For us, to, is. and he is, but we're also reminded he's still human, and he actually has, like, a soul, and he actually cares about people. Right. It's such a fantastically well-done moment that stands out for me. And needed, because very interestingly enough, um, at one point, Pleasant's changed something. I know at one point, if you remember when Loomis is on the phone on the way to Haddonfield, he stops at a payphone right around right where when he sees he's the the truck that was uh, broken down or whatever, or Michael got his his, cl- uh, his jumpsuit or whatever. Right, he's on the phone. Originally in the script, it was supposed to be Sam Loomis calling his wife and be saying something like, you know, no, I know, I haven't gotten sleep. I'll sleep as soon as I get finished this case, or as soon as I finish finding him, or whatever. I'll come home and take a, take a vacation or something like that. And Loomis talked to Carpenter, or Loomis Pleasance talked to Carpenter and said, "I don't think that's what Sam Loomis does. Sam Loomis is too fixated on this. He's too fixated on Michael in general. I don't think he has a wife. He's not. He I, I, he's a lonesome person. Yeah, that's what he thinks." And Carpenter said, "Okay, you know what? That actually makes sense. Um, the downside is it doesn't. It lost a chance to humanize Loomis in a way." But this way is actually better, I think, for the character. There's a little smile, a little having him 
doing his thing. So it's, it's a part of still he's doing what he is fixated on. He's as fixated on Michael as Michael is evil. Like Loomis has really obsessive problems with the whole thing the entire time. What he does if Michael ever fully got caught and killed, I don't know what Sam Loomis would do. I mean, we get a hint of it, I guess, in six when he's kind of retired at that moment, but it's still kind of like a similar way. I, I appreciate this humanizing him better than a call to his wife. Well, and also we have to remember, like in that way, we also had a very different opening with him where yeah. he actually, it was a deleted scene where he actually deals with the doctors at Smith's Grove. And he's like, you can't let him go. Right. And he's trying, you know, again, what a great way to do that. Because it's it's putting an actual fear instead of a little bit of crazy. He's trying to protect people. So, you know, it would have gone a long way. But I really like this moment because it's one of the only times that we get time with him right. in that regard. Um, but the other thing is, is and I want to focus on this a little bit, is his conversation with Brackett. We kind of talked about the, the evil and whatnot. But, you know, he goes to Brackett and he goes, look, death has come to your town. And as Brackett starts to talk to him, and he's like, well, why did you let him go? And he's like, look, I, I didn't. I tried to stop this. And he even goes, when I met him 15 years ago, I was told there was nothing left. Like, there was nothing inside of him. Like, everyone just saw him as having no understanding of life, death, good, evil, right, wrong. Like, so when he finally saw the kid, and he looks and he goes, he had the blackest eyes i've ever seen he called them the devil's eyes right. and, you know he he says that he spends all this time trying to talk to him trying to reason with him trying to find anything inside of him but no he in the, all the eight years that i did that i realized that there was nothing there living behind that boy's eyes than evil like right. purely and simple evil and again he tries to keep it contained he tried mm -hmm. to keep it locked up in Smith's Grove, and of course they let him out. But it's it's just so interesting. I love Lomas as a character; it, like he's so cool. Loomis rules. He's just so fun. And again, it's because of Pleasance. Like Pleasance really, fun. really makes it. Um, but also, we need to shout out Nick Castle. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. Uh, Michael throughout the movie. Because he... Famous director. director to life. It was director Nick Castle of Major Pain. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, Dennis <laughs> Menace. Um, Dan Levine, we love you. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we did the thing. We we did the thing. Uh, uh, last Starfighter also, right? Or uh, yes. is it last? Yes, yeah. Last Starfighter, Nick Castle. <laughs> so, you know, very fun for us. But for real, Nick Castle's great. And the, the thing that I like so much is that his movements feel just kind of there and just very yeah. uh, like they're weirdly ominous without being ominous right oh he, doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he does just the right thing on occasion one thing that really got me also it was jumping ahead a little bit we're gonna jump back but one of them specifically nick castle's movements is after laurie he surprises laurie laurie falls down the stairs and he makes this his movement where he just kind of walks and stops at the the top of the stairs to look down and it's so fucking scary before he, then he starts walking down but it's that way he just he moves stops boom 
is so I, I I don't even know what to say about it, but it, it, the castle does some great movements throughout this entire piece. Well, and that is one of them. I mean, that's one of the all time greats. The and of course my favorite, and I it's my favorite kill in the movie. It's my favorite kill in the franchise, probably still, to be honest with you. But it is when he goes and offs Bob. When he pops out of that door and he grabs Bob and he stabs him against the wall, pins him there, and then takes a step back and tilts his head. Like yes. he's admiring his work. And again, it's a simple thing. And, you know, Castles talked about it where he was like, Carpenter would tell me to do that. And I was like, why would I do that? But then you see the final product and it's just like, it's a simple movement, but it's unnerving because he's looking at this, like, look at what I've done. Look at the creation of what I have done in this. Like it, it's such a a small thing, but dear God, does it work? It's so evil. And it's so beautiful. So much. Sorry. It's a very iconic moment. Just like I agree. It is one of my favorites on the entire franchise as well. And it's obviously uh, other people's favorite as well because it's aped very well in Halloween Kills um, at the yes, Myers house. It is. It's, it's exactly bookended by it where he comes out a little bit, a little bit further back the shot, a little bit longer distance. But when Michael comes out with the speed that he has, and it's such a powerful shot. Um, oh, God, I love Halloween Kills. Um, <laughs> uh, do you know what I also didn't realize until this watch through for the first time, really? Was I didn't I don't think I realized just how much time we spent in the Myers house and in yeah. the room where everything happened. And it was just interesting because I had never really thought about it. And then like thinking back to kills, I'm really impressed with how well built out they redid the house and how yeah. well it looks because yeah. it's a very specific design. Mm. And I was thinking ahead. And I was like, wow, Kills really nailed that, actually. Like, really, really nailed that. Because you spend a lot of time in that house in oh. Kills. So it was a, it was actually kind of a nice feeling where I was like, it just, it just goes to show how much David Gordon Green and everyone kind of cares about the franchise right. and the continuity and how it looks and how it feels. And very interesting to me. Well, I will say that's also where we find first discover that Michael Myers has a taste for canine. Um, not the only time Correct. he's a dog. Um, you must, I don't know why he decides to do that. Like it's kind of one of those, one of those weird things you never have to know. You don't have to know why it's not that you have to worry about, but he could have gotten, he broke in to get a mask, could have broken in somewhere else and got a turkey on rye if he really wanted to, but he didn't. <laughs> he got a no. dog it because he's pure evil. Um, what a weird thing. Two dog deaths in this movie. Yeah. Like one a, of them off, you know, one off off camera. We actually don't see it at all. I was just mentioned that he was eating dog. Um, so he said, this is a line that threw me that he goes, a skunk did that. A skunk? <laughs> did that? I get to not like, Bracket, what are you talking about? <laughs> did not yeah. vibe with me at all. If the dog's sitting there happy, maybe it's the difference between what, what, what he Bracket's actually seeing supposedly and what I'm visualizing we're seeing. But if he was eating the dog, I'm visualizing something that the skunk definitely couldn't have done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, Oh, go ahead. Just uh, say, this is there's the second time. And later on, he does kill at the, the Wallace's dog where Annie was barking at Annie and then barks at him. And he, he kills yep. that dog as well. Um, and God, that's usually awful for me. I usually can't stand watching animals die. No, this is one of the few where I actually, it works and I, I don't love it, but obviously like 
there's something about the way it's shot again shout out to dean cundy and the work that he did on the film where the the animal's legs just go limp yeah that it's just it's very it's it really hits you because a, a, he senselessly kills a dog and i guess and like i don't want to use the word, watch it i don't want to use the word every word tasteful as to how as to how to describe it but cundy's filmmaking cundy's shot of it is tasteful for what it has to do correct the most tasteful but, it could have been so yeah and so you know we're on halloween night the the cast is split across obviously as we've been kind of talking about Lori is over at the Doyle house watching Tommy and Annie is over hanging out at the Wallace house and she is taking care of Lindsay. And again, having everyone split up, you know, you have Linda off with Bob and they're doing their thing. And it leads to the idea that they're so separated, not realizing that this is happening because one by one, Michael starts killing them off. Mm. And th- them being all separated the way they are, no one really has any idea. And that moment when he finally gets to Annie and he strangles her in the back of the car before slitting her throat, it, it it's a visceral, visceral experience because, again, the camera just sits on it, just lets it happen. And you're just sitting there watching it. And it, it you can't do anything. And, again, I really shout out Dean Cundy because there's something about the way that the shot sits where you – you want to do something and you can't like, I feel helpless. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I feel helpless. I want to help and I can't. Right. And it's like one of those horror tropes as well. She goes into the car. Um, it was funny. She goes to get the car in the car and I couldn't tell, but did she pull the thing and it was locked? Cause I felt like she pulled it was locked and went and got the keys, came back and pulled it and it was open. And that was like your first like hint that something was wrong. Um, I might've been overlooking at that at all, but the thing you do see for sure she gets in and she sees uh, obviously the, the the condensation on the window, and that's like it's a great moment. It's like you're thinking to yourself, well, obviously somebody's in there. But like if you were Annie at that time, who's not conditioned to watch horror movies or whatever, I guess <laughs> so you go in there and you see that you do get a little like, well, what's, why is this? I don't. And then the kill happens. But as an audience, you're right because you know what's going on. You're like, fuck, he's in there. Get away, get away, get away, get away. Get away. <laughs> and you can't do anything. No, you can't do anything. And I just love that so much. And of course, you know, Lindsay goes across the street. She starts hanging out with Lori and Tommy. And one of the things I love, by the way, is they're watching the thing from another world, which is such a funny little moment because of course, Carpenter goes on to remake that just a few years later in the thing. Yep. It's so good. it's such a funny little like it, it's that's Sam Raimi putting Doctor Strange's name in Spider-Man 2 as a joke only yeah. to direct a, a Doctor Strange movie later. Like something very just kind of cutesy and fun about that in a hindsight sort of way. But one of the things I really like about this, too, and again, this is a humanizing Lori sort of thing is when she's spending time with Tommy, she's kind of reading to him and he wants to read King Arthur or she was reading him King Arthur. And she goes, I thought this was your favorite. And he goes, nah, I've moved on for that. I like superheroes now. (laughs) And my mom, and she, you know, he pulls them out and she's like, why are you hiding these? Well, my mom doesn't like them. And she starts rattling off what he's been reading. And she's like, well, I can see why, but (laughs) like, I like her relationship with them because there's a really fun little give and take with her and Tommy that she clearly cares about this kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, 
Yeah. And so once Lindsay gets there and like there, there's kind of the, you know, the give and take of, oh, you guys clearly have a crush on each other. And like, it's kind of cutesy and like plays out and it works because again, now you're heightening the stakes because you're putting kids in the mix, not just teenagers. There's now two children in the mix of this and he already killed a dog. He's not going to have any problem to kill these kids is your mindset. Now he killed an animal. He will kill all of them. Well, not only that, but it's interesting, though, because we actually, this act, obviously, the, we didn't mention before the time where Michael does show some restraint in a way, which is weird because you, you don't ever think of Michael ever showing restraint. As always, you see Michael, he's going to kill somebody, but he does go around town. He does stalk Laurie. At one point, he actually runs right into Tommy. Tommy runs yeah. down. He grabs him in a way and lets him go. And it's like a very freaky moment, but it's like, wow, okay, so this is Michael who actually can walk around town. Obviously, he doesn't maybe he doesn't have the the mask on at that point because that might have been a little bit too much. Maybe I don't know. It's interesting to see. When does he get? When does he put the mask on? Does he walk around town with the mask on? I mean, we notice him without with the mask on a few times. We do see him like in the bush and about the thing. Right. But, like, Actually, that's a great question because I mean, again, jumping farther ahead, obviously Halloween Kills has all those flashbacks where he, but it's all the night sequences. Yeah. Right? But as far as we're concerned, we never see his face throughout the day like on those shots they always hide it if you see him walking in some capacity like that one in particular you never see his face it's shot from the shoulder down so maybe he doesn't have it on but they make it a point also that you really don't see his face period because that one moment where the mask comes off he panics and he pulls it back down so i have to think he's actually wearing it I got to think that, too, but when you say weird about it, so therefore he's walking around a bunch of kids with this. I mean, it is Halloween. So it is a Halloween, but, and maybe that's what it is. I mean, but also, when it. we first meet Michael, he's in a clown mask. Yeah, that's true, too. So I think, I mean, it's the one thing the zombie movies did very well was dealing with the fact that Michael obviously feels like he needs to hide behind a mask. He right. probably is wearing it because I think he only sees himself behind a mask. Oh, we do see him. Like said, we do see Jimmy Lee Curtis see him from a distance. So you could definitely, and you definitely see the mask at that point, whether it's in the the garden, whether it's in the behind the car, behind the bushes. He's definitely wearing the mask at that point. But I don't know if it's wearing the mask when he sees Lori that he take it off. Otherwise, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting because at this point we don't know how important the mask is. Like you said, I guess it's never really dealt with until the end. When, but that's during the hype of the moment. Maybe when he's maybe the mask is when he gets like. In kill mode, like activate kill mode, I gotta put the mask on. When I'm not in kill mode, he takes it off. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. We don't really know. There's a possibility that's the case. It's just so interesting to me. I really, wow. really love it, and it's an interesting conversation. Speaking of that, though, honestly, and again, maybe I shouldn't jump forward, but it makes sense that's what we're talking about right now. When the mask does come off, were you surprised at how much we saw of his face? I think I always have been because the truth is, is we really don't see much more of it at any other time. Right. Um, ever like for the most part, no, it is one weird. Really, it's weird. I felt um, like I, it's, it's been such a big deal. We don't see Michael's face or whatever that like what I did see. I think I, it's true. I think every time I watch the movie, I'm always surprised at how much we say. Yeah. And I think that I, I think about that a lot just because again, we don't see it a lot after the fact. Right. Ever. And so I almost 
in a way I almost wish we hadn't, but it almost feels so viscerally in the moment that you don't think about it again. And we don't like, I don't think it's until Halloween and really Halloween kills where you kind of see it again, but it's always like from the side. It's never even fully a face shot in the same way. Yeah. And there's a moment I have to remember in five. Yeah. We get a glimpse of it again. Cause Jamie takes it off. Right. Like in the coffin or wants to take it off, whatever it is. But interesting. Interesting. It's interesting how they play with how important it is or isn't. But either way, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, that's a that's a digression. It's a digression. We'll get we'll get back to where we were. Um we were basically uh, in the area. Go ahead. And real quick, I just want to throw it out here. You know, we were talking about all the stuff about Lo- Loomis and what have you. You know uh, what my favorite little side note on all this is? Christopher Lee later told John Carpenter that it, the biggest regret in his career was turning down Halloween. Did really? you ever know that? Yeah. Know he said that. his his biggest regret was declining the role. Wow. And he should have ultimately done it. But again, I can't see literally anyone else doing it now, to be honest. With yeah. You. How, how would you have seen, like, like, trying to think about it, how do you think that would go? Very differently. Yeah. Uh, it would have been a very different performance, I feel like. I also don't know if Lee would have come in and rewritten things in the uh, same well, way that like Pleasance did. You know what I'm saying? I, I I would say that he, I mean, just from the little things I do know about Christopher Lee, uh, obviously, I haven't followed his career. I mean, he's a legendary actor, of course, but like I've only really seen her behind the scenes sales from his time in Star Wars and in Lord of the Rings. And he was pretty forward about what he thought was good or what he wasn't thought was good um, about things. Yeah, but that's a little different because he actually knew Tolkien. Yeah, Star Wars. He just, he just, he just, he just, he just, oh, Star Wars. Well, Duke it's Duke. also George Lucas, you know. No, maybe. Maybe, he's a collab- maybe he opens up for a collaborative. Maybe some yeah. directors are more open to collaboration. I got to feel like Lee might give something forward about it, which I, I as much as I love Pleasance, I love Pleasance, I would love to see this alternate universe just to see what it would have been. Someone open the multiverse so we can check this out. I know, right now. God damn it. That's the multiverse is good for. It's the only thing it's good for, checking out alternate castings. Correct. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so where are we? We're back to. Um, so we're at, uh, she, he strangles, uh, obviously he strangles uh, Annie in the car and basically takes him out one by one, takes out Annie. The Bob and Lynn and Lynn, Lynn a bit is, is great. We mentioned before the ghost costume, the getting me a beer, that kind of thing. Um, I love the fact that they're very open about sex. Um, they're not not anything graphic about it. It's something they really in your face about it. It's just something that happens. Um, but it does seem to have something to do with Michael's mind- mindset. He does seem to not, like, I don't know if sex is the thing that kicks off Michael's gear or whatnot. Like, he sees his sister having sex, and that's when he decides after six years or whatever to, to make the move or he sees he's playing. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe it is a trigger to him, but he definitely plays him at that point. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, to the twain nature of Michael, it's like him messing with PJ souls the way he is, you know, <laughs> Linda just sitting there and then being strangled to death on the phone. And Lori's hearing it has no idea. Yeah. She thinks it's like, an obscene she, phone call. Yeah. She thinks it's just an obscene phone call. And yet at the nope. same time, it is not. She is listening right. to her friend being murdered on the phone. Again, what a creepy, scary, horrible thing to have happen, and you have no idea. Right. Again, the brilliance of this movie, the way that it is handled is that it is scary and terrifying, 
and it gets under your skin because you have no idea that it's happening. Right. And now, right before uh, Lynn, Linda, Lori goes over to check out because she is a little concerned, but she's kind of like, you know, obviously we had the phone call before where we were kind of another joke thing. Obviously, it seems like this is kind of a running joke in their little friend circle. They do kind of like joke phone calls. But she takes it seriously enough that she wants to check out what's going on. We get to see Loomis um, at the Myers house, kind of getting tired of hanging around there, I think. And this is now this is a weird thing. Again, one of those things, it's like the stormtrooper bumping his head in A New Hope. It's like it's a silly, stupid thing, and you have, but you accept it and it's fun. He just now notices the car. <laughs> like, obviously, Loomis has been there for like I don't know how long, like six, five, six, seven hours this way, 80 hours. He's been to, there all day, basically. All day. And all of a sudden, in the end, I bump it up and turn. He goes, Hey, that's that car. <laughs> Now the car's been there for a while because Michael's been busy for a while. So like, oh, that, that's, that's when he discovers it. That made me laugh today, probably unintentionally. One of the things where, again, it probably would have been nitpicked up the wazoo today, but it just made me chuckle. Uh, it's pretty funny. Oh, it's <laughs> just, it, look at his face. And again, I really don't mind it. Like It's no. just good filmmaking. It's fun filmmaking. And it, I like that it adds a sense of you know, to your point, he, how did you not notice? Oh, well, it is what it is. Like, right. Um, also, we got to talk about who taught Michael to drive. Just wondering. <laughs> That's funny, actually. That's pretty funny. Um, it's I, a, it's a I think about that a lot. It's been a question of the fandom for a long time, too. And it's true. No, who knows? Like I said, maybe they all, like Sam, like Sam Lewis said, maybe somebody had a teaching them, giving them lessons. That's one of the things, the, guy, the funny thing that's the one thing that made me laugh, too, is that, that during the way back in the time, the beginning of the film, after he escapes, Sam and, and the, the administrator having the argument. He's like, it's 150 miles. He can't drive. Well, he was doing pretty damn good last, last night, wasn't he? Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's so good. Um, interesting enough, I do had I read an interview with the novelization guy, uh, Curtis Richards, whose real name I think is Richard Curtis. Great, great pen name to switch your last name yeah. or your first name. Um, and he said that he actually, there actually is a couple lines of dialogue in the book that, that deal with that and say that, like, that he lay, let Michael drive around like the gardening truck sometimes with the gardener or something or something. Yeah, there we know. go. All right. That's fine with me. I mean, look, I really don't care. I just always thought it was very funny, uh, which also actually, I want to say we, I skipped over this a little bit, but to the point of how scary it is that he was stalking them, that one moment where he's driving down the street and, and he goes slow, you know, speeding kills and he's, mm-hmm. he slams on the brakes and like the shot just kind of lingers yeah. And you're like, oh shit, oh shit, and then it he leaves, right? But it's such a great moment, and I love Lori going. You know, Annie, one day you're going to get us all in big, big trouble. Yep, and it's <laughs> kind of not wrong. No, not at all. And it's, that's it's a funny moment. I do like that one as well because it's also again well scored. Like because it's scored, Carpenter scored all the guests. Look, you're like, oh, something's about to go down. Something's about to go down, but uh, it doesn't. Where we let on, um, so. Lori goes over to the uh, Wallace house, and that's where it's kind of like she gets bombarded. All of a sudden, she just sees she obviously opens the door and finds Annie, like spread eagle on the bed, pretty much, um, with the big Judith Myers tombstone. And like, holy fuck, what would now? You imagine yourself as a seventeen-year-old coming on your friend like that? Like, what the fuck? But then she doesn't even get a chance to really uh, uh, respond because all of a sudden she turns and there's boom, <laughs> swinging down. Uh, and then she sees Linda in the, the the closet door thing opens. She's just bombarded with, oh, my God, all of my friends are fucking dead. Holy it shit. becomes a fucking horror show so quickly for Lori. Right. 
So um, bad. That great shot. One of my favorite shots in the entire franchise. Lori freaking out. Just backing up. And there's an open doorway. It's completely black. And then all of a sudden you just see the, just the hint of the mask. It's not even completely visible, but you see the mask there before yeah. he strikes. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's incredible filmmaking. It's incredible cinematography. Like everything about it is so great. And this leads to, you know, Lori screaming, running out the door, trying to, you know, Tommy, let me in, let me in. And I love this because Michael's the slow stalking is yes. so like creepy and it's so unnerving. And she's trying so hard. And then, you know, call the cops, call the cops, you know, get, get out of here. Go to go next door. Call the cops, and she's trying so hard to protect them, but also trying to fucking run for her life because all her friends are dead now. Mm-hmm. It's such a. It's so like. It's so creepy when Michael appears and he slashes her arm, but you know, and of course she, she's just sitting there petrified obviously about what happens. She falls down the stairs, so she's got this limp now on top of everything else. And she's just trying to get out of the house, get back to Tommy, get back to the kids, save the kids, get away. Like, imagine that you walked into this house. Your friends are all dead. You just got you saw the person who did it. You fell down the stairs. You're limping. You're hurt. He slashed your arm. And you're just you're all you can do is like fight or flight. Right. And hers is flight because she's thinking about the kids. Mm. Well, also. The fun part about that is, like, let's, let's say, let's face it, she has a fucking pretty shitty, or that's not really her neighbor because she doesn't live there, but the fucking neighbors in that town are very fucking shitty. You have the 17-year-old girl screaming, help me, help me, help me, going to the door of the next-door neighbor, banging on the door saying, oh, my God, help me, help me, help me. You see somebody that look out and go, eh, close the window, she goes, turn off. But the outside light comes on first. You see, the, you see the, the window, turn down the shades, turn off the light. We're not going to listen to this guy. <laughs> I don't want to get involved sometimes, but it's like, I can't imagine if I had a 17 year old girl like knocking on my door that I at least wouldn't have called the police or something like try to like, you know, or I always would have said something or try to anything, help somebody out. Anything. And you know, the thing is, is I almost would have thought that the town would know better. But the truth is, is that because the sheriffs try to keep everything under wraps and nothing's really gotten out about any deaths or anything, no one knows any better. That's true. And that's, that's the other thing. Actually. Yeah, and again, I want to say that that's one of the things I like about this so much, and part of the reason that it's still so unnerving is that imagine not knowing. Imagine having no idea, and that's real life. People have probably lived next door to serial killers and anything else, and you have no idea. No idea what's going on at all. It's scary. but It's scary. But yeah, I just want to point out the the shitty neighbors that (laughs) are in Halloween. Um, Don't want to live in Manhattan, feel for that reason. Um, but then she goes back. It's probably, I, and, and you think about it, it probably was a mistake for her to go back in terms of if that put the kid in danger now because Michael probably wouldn't have gone into the kids if they weren't. He was obviously fixated on Lori at that point. But she's a 17 year old kid and she wants it. All she can think about is barring herself in the place that she knows at that point and calling the cops. Right. Right. And, and of course, she finds the phone is dead. Uh, yeah. Michael's killed the, pe- the phone line. So he comes in through the window, he, he attacks her again. Uh, Lori fights back. She stabs him with a knitting needle. And again, you know, what a great moment. And then we have the shot of Lori with the knife, like looking over the, and he's dead, you know, don't worry about it. He's dead. He's dead. But of course 
she goes upstairs. She finds the kids. She's checking on them. Michael comes back. He's alive. He attacks her again. Um, and it keeps just kind of happening. It keeps escalating. And that's what I love. Lori hides in the closet. And here's the thing about this third act. This is a, yeah. And this whole third act is, here's the thing. This whole third act is maybe top two or three horror finales of all time. Oh, it continues to be, um, because the moment that Lori, from the moment that Lori walks into that house and sees the dead bodies to the final shots of this movie, my tension is ratcheted up to 11. And I've seen this movie well over a hundred times. Easily. Easily. Oh my God. It's but so, it's, it's so master. Yeah. Like you, it's so masterfully done. I get goosebumps thinking about it, but the, that shot of Lori in the closet as Michael's ripping through, trying to catch her and trying to get to her is so terrifying. And so it, because it feels animalistic. It is. It really is. It is right. Like it's so animalistic. And she stabs him with the, the hanger. She does a good job of undoing the hanger and actually slicing it at him or whatever. It knocks him down or whatever. Like, is it again? Is it good now? Obviously not if you're a horror fan. But I kind of feel like a lot of people who saw it might not have been horror fans. That wasn't as much of a trope yet as really the horror villain who couldn't die, so to speak. Um, but it is a great way because then he gets back with the... By the way, really quick, I, I find it funny. Just re back, rebounding a little bit. She's banging on her front door. <laughs> Tommy, let me in. Tommy, let me in. She like throws the plan up and Tommy's like, what? Now Tommy, meanwhile, who's been petrified of the boogeyman all night. Yep. He's seen Michael Myers like twice, I think. And third time at school, really. And he's, oh my God, oh my God, boogeyman. He, he gets so scared. He calls Laurie over to look. And of course, Michael Myers is gone at that point. So he, so he doesn't see anything. But this is the time when boogeyman's actually there. And he's kind of like, what? Oh, all right, I'm going to walk on down. And he, obviously, Laurie's freaking out. And he's kind of like, what? Bitch, God. (laughs) It's like every time Frank Janish (laughs) is around us and we're like, Frank, we need you to do something. He's like, God, I don't know, man. What? I don't know. (laughs) But we we love you. Yeah. But look, seriously, it's so good, man. And the tension is ratcheted up. Of course, the kids get out of the house. They go running out and, you know, Loomis finds them. He's in the house. He's in the house. The boogeyman, the boogeyman, who, where, which house, that house, the boogeyman, like the boogeyman. And uh, it just, it's so chilling. And I, the thing that I love is that at the end of the day, Lori fights as hard as possible, but she's petrified. And it leads to that last shot, man. Fucking Loomis goes into the house and, you know, Lori ripped the mask off. That's when we see him. Right. But my, you know, Loomis shoots him six times and he falls off the balcony and you, you watch the body fall off the balcony and Lori's just crying. And, and, you know, it was that the boogeyman and Loomis says, yes, that was the boogeyman. And he looks over the balcony and the body's gone. And here's what I love. Not, uh, only, not just that, I know. but here's the, here's the brilliance of this, right? Not only does Michael get away, the body's gone. They're terrified. She, he's been shot. She's crying. The is it the boogeyman? Yes, it is. The shot, the the single shots, the static single shots of the houses, the neighborhood, the mm-hmm. breathing. Like mm-hmm. you're just hearing Michael's breathing over these shots of places that you know of things you've seen, and then cut to credits. He could have been anywhere. He could have been anywhere. It could have been anywhere, anyone at any time. 
there's there no ending. No ending. That's what's so brilliant about it. Because we've got this is not written with a Halloween two in mind. This is written as a standalone. This is always going to be. This yeah. was it. And that way, if there was never a franchise, that's the end of it right there. Is that Michael gets up, walks away somehow, and is just somewhere way to strike again. The same night, even we're not we're just going. We're just like ending a movie midway through almost in a way, but it worked. It has a powerful ending. And I gotta say, I agree with what I'm thinking about it too. Michael gets shot. Girl over. He says, yeah, he's the same thing. He says to, to, to Lori about being the boogeyman. He walks over, and as soon as he looks down and sees that empty space, great shot, suit, perfectly the same shot. One has Michael's body in it, one doesn't. Score starts. Donald Pleasant's face is a ma- master class of acting. Because there's so much going it's on fear. behind that. It's this fear. It's just anger. It's this fuck me. It's this, like, tired... All the yeah. What do I what do I do next? Helpless. And I realized like, I actually flashed in my head in a minute, like when I was watching it this time, like as far as we know, Tommy and Laura, uh, Tommy and Lindsay are still out there, <laughs> like outside, possibly with Michael Myers at this point. <laughs> you never know. That's how it could end it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like holy shit. And honestly, again, like, though. Like, Lori is sobbing and it, it just ends the way it does with the breathing and with the the that metaphor for he could be anywhere, watch your step, Michael's gonna get you. Boom! It's, uh, it's it's brilliant, is what it is. And again, like big ups to them being like we were going to just not give you a real ending, like at all. Like I mean, it's a real ending. Don't get me wrong, but there's not going to be closure because imagine that they had never made a sequel. It would go. It. I mean, it's still an all time ending. But imagine that horror film never getting another one. It would go down as an all time moment because. <sighs> the killer is still out there and we never get there again. Now, oh. obviously there's no world where they're not going to do that because Halloween made so much money. I mean, again, it was made on like $300,000. It made almost $70 million or something overall. Like, are you joking? Of course you're going to make another one. <sighs> it just, it rips so hard, man. Like this movie is incredible. It's a masterpiece. It it, is it, masterpiece. It, and I can't, say enough things about the fact that they took the idea of suburban America and turned it into a horror show. Not that people hadn't done this. You know, we, we have a friend named Lego who we were talking about this a little bit yesterday after I'd watched it, I had tweeted about it. And, you know, during the cold war and stuff, we definitely had a lot of films that was about your neighbors, the villain, like obviously the twilight zone is famous for that like that's right. an all-time famous episode in the middle of the cold war uh but the thing that about this here is that again a lot of the time when it came to horror films you were going to a different place right like the universal monsters are all existent in other countries or other places that are not your home or another time period that is not your own right like you, you're never in a place where you were put in the moment or you left again Friday the Thirteenth. You went to a summer camp. You went tourist trap is you know off on a touristy like tourist trap. Those right. things that you find like all those things are how these things went. You were usually in a place that was not your own. Haunting you know house on haunted hill. Hills have eyes. Every once in a while, sure, like you know, last house on the left, or you know. 
what was the when a stranger calls sure every once in a while but more often than not you were put in a situation that was not your creation <sighs> and halloween forced you to rectify this idea that it could have been anyone or anything it took the idea that pure evil of psycho a pure evil of checking into a place and you have no idea what's there but now this person is got a mask and is now roaming a town, your town, your home. This is your house. You should be safe here, and you're not. This is your town. This should not happen here. And I love that because that is what makes it so scary. Man, you're saying everything I want to say about this, and it's exactly what it is, is that it is the ultimate in uh, audience interaction without being interactive, an interactive movie. And we talk about what's the character that the audience gets experiences through. That's what's always talked about in, in any kind of fiction. They want, to, want the audience to have that character they can relate to, that they get to visualize it through. The whole movie is all about this. The original Halloween, it places you in this moment with Michael Myers, with Laurie Strode, with Dr. Sam Loomis, with Lee Brackett, who I gotta say, we haven't talked about much in this episode. I love this character. I think Lee Brackett is too. a great character. Um, he's he, he he's not a bumbling sheriff at all. Like people like usually in these kind of films, and actually Halloween gets that way sometimes later on. But in a lot of these horror films, the sheriff is a bumbling failure who doesn't listen to anybody and is a big reason why a lot of the shit happens. He does everything I would expect a small town sheriff to do. He's like a little slow to believe things a little bit, but he doesn't like hold things up. He's like, all right. I'll give you your 10 minutes to talk to me. All right, I'll go to the house. We'll, we'll check it out. But like at the same time, nothing happens for a while. Like, okay, well, I got to do what I got to do. I got to see I gotta see what's going on. You know, nothing happens, calls me. He's a good father, gen- generally a good father. Although I will say, one of the other little stormtrooper hitting the head moments, Lori and Annie go smoking pot and then come up to the, <laughs> comes up oh, to yeah. the, uh, the, the uh, hardware store with the alarm ring. And then you open the door after quitting. And you're saying the sheriff couldn't smell the pot of them? Yeah, but Lori brings that up. That's true. That's true. He does like, say that. Lori, Lori 100% even brings that up. He could smell it. No, he yeah. couldn't. He couldn't. And she's like, no, he could. I, I think he did. He's just Maybe he doesn't care. He's just ignoring it, which is kind of going away. I guess that's true. Maybe that's maybe just the cool cool father of the 70s, which is also a little weird. I guess it's, I don't know. Because it's the time frame, it's hard to imagine what would be like that as far as his view on pot or whatever kind of thing. And you know, what's so funny about all this is that suburban America over the next few years becomes a hot spot for stuff like this because Spielberg leans in on it on ET. And then again, poltergeist like, and that's not a bad thing, but suburban America starts to become more and more prevalent. The gate, you know, almost 10 years later becomes the same thing. You started, we started to see a lot more of this idea that terror was in your own backyard sort of thing. And I think a lot of it stems from here because it really opened a door to being like, look, what happens if the supernatural or the horror is real and is in your place? Not just like cold war type spook stuff, like, but real terror real science fiction real horror monsters i i will never get over that i just think it's such a cool thing i agree i agree um but just going back real quick to to, to lee to uh lee cypress right in cypress what's it it's uh the actor you mean yes the actor 
Charles Cyphers. Charles Cyphers. Yeah, Lee Brackett. Charles Cyphers. I knew it wasn't Lee Cyphers. I can't remember. God, I'm old. I've I drank too much. My brain cells are, are a little fried. But it's Charles Cyphers, who's a very much a carpenter person. He's in a lot of carpenter films. And then he also makes his return finally in in Halloween uh, Kills uh, as an old an old retired sheriff who's at the hospital. I love what he gives. He always puts in a great performance. He's never going to be a leading. He was never a leading man, never a like a number one guy. But he add, he's that kind of guy that adds so much to the film just by being a good, solid presence that he's underrated. I think people take him for granted sometimes, but I do want to shout my appreciation. Another time, a great moment. When Nancy, or, I was like, why do I keep saying Nancy? God, I want to watch Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess. When Laurie runs into him, <laughs> and he gets the, to, to the joke, like, well, it's Halloween. We're all entitled to one good scare, right? It just, the delivery of it, it's so fatherly, so sheriffly. It, it, it's a great small character that I, I wanted to shout out for, for giving us a little, bit, a little bit more in the film. I mean, he's one of the only last major characters that we didn't talk about, so it's only fair. Yeah, I'm glad I got the moment to do so because I would feel bad if we didn't. Um, but yeah, so that that's uh, pretty much at where we are. <laughs> Can I just say real quick? I'm looking at the time. I just glanced at the time. Um, we're almost as long as we did for Lord of the Rings <laughs> on a yeah. 91 minute movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we have uh, surpassed the runtime by quite a bit, actually, of the movie. And I'm not mad about that. It, it just goes to, to show number one, how much there is to talk about. But again, too, we spent a lot of time kind of setting the table. There's a lot to unpack with this franchise. And I love that. Like, I love that we just got to gush so hard about this movie and all the stuff that is going to come with that. Because again, like this is one of my favorite franchises. I adore these movies, even, even when they're bad, I will always have fun watching them. Um, so, you know, it's really special and I'm really glad that we got to do it. And again, like, dude, you're just asking me to talk about one of my all time favorite movies, which who, what are you kidding me? That's the best. I'm never going to, I'm going to put it as much into that as possible. Never going to turn that down. (laughs) No. And again, I'm going to be so annoying by the time this is over because I love these movies so much. Like that's just how I'm going to be. I'm, I apologize in advance, but I, I have no chill when it comes to Halloween. I just don't. I am the same way exactly. That's why he, he put us together. This is what's going to happen. Um, before we do leave, though, before I say goodbyes or anything you want to finish up on, you want to uh, say one last thing about, and then we'll, we'll get going. Um, actually, yeah. Uh, we probably should have stopped talked about this up top now that I think about it. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure that you guys are aware, but PLD and I have known for a little bit that the showdown is coming to an end and that was a weird thing for us. And we've kind of been sitting thinking about it for the last couple of weeks. We we'd had a heads up and we're kind of in a state of flux right now, but the cool thing for you guys is it's going to give us a lot of time to sit down with the podcast and do a little bit more because there's not a lot of work for us uh, right now left on this. Uh, We've got five matches left to right for spectacular for as far as we're both aware. I I don't know if that's even really out there. Probably shouldn't have said that out loud, but as far as you're aware, fair, I'll interject and say, five matches we there could be more we don't know that we we don't actually have a listing of the matches per se is this something we no 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 we have no idea what's actually happening like i <laughs> want you guys to be aware we have no idea what the matches five. actually are we're, we're just <laughs> yeah we've just been told that's 
likely what we're looking at. Um, it's been really, really hard. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I lost yeah. my only source of income. It was my only job. Um, I dedicated all of my time to this show over the last three seasons and last two years because I am in a position where I can do that. And so now I'm in a world where I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I'm going to be here. I know I'm going to be hanging out with you. I know we're going to be talking about movies. I'm really fucking sad. Uh, I'm really going to miss the show. And it was a really special thing that was created by some really special people. And I can't thank Mark and Christian enough for, you know, taking a shot on you and I, um, I, I mean, look, dude, I fell into, I was a fan who fell into helping behind the scenes, who fell into helping write the questions, who fell into taking over as head writer. And then when Christian asked, you know, who should be the head writer for the FCL because he didn't want me to do that. He didn't want me spread too thin. The only person I could think of was you because I, you and I would talk and I knew that you knew your shit and I knew that you would be very good at it. And I knew you would have fun with it. And I knew that that meant we could work together. And what people don't know is we fucking worked together on both leagues. Like I never, I, I will never forget like literally just spending nights on calls where we were writing matches for both sides of the league Mm -hmm. and going through those motions together. And it was really remarkable. And I'm really sad. I'm really, really sad because I don't know what's next. And it's hard. I I'm in a total state of flux uh, where I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I have no job right now. I have no source of income and I wouldn't do it any other way. That's the crazy thing is I would never have done it any other way. Like I loved what we did. I loved the time we had with it. Uh, I want to give you guys the best spectacular possible going out. It's all I can do. It's all PLD and I can do, but I'm going to miss it. And I'm, I really want to thank everyone for like, the you know we'll probably do something um would be my guess down the line once it's over we may do our own like farewell show that will be to me at okra white dude just talking about it i would that'll be my guess because it's you and i and we're gonna need to have our own like say in it all i guess and i think that that's only fair that you and i sit down and talk one last time about everything looking back um but for now, I just want to say thank you guys um, for your support. I know that most of you found us because of it and you know us because of it. And our lives are dramatically changed for the better uh, because the show existed. And it's really, really unique and really, really special. And I'm really, I'm really lucky. Um, it was a hell of a ride, man. Mm. I was, uh, I'll, I'll give my, my two cents. It's funny thing that I didn't think about. I didn't think we we're going to discuss that today. Um, PJ, I mean, I, I love it. I, I love it. I, 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 I had to, man. You're right. I, 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 we ha- we should have. We should have up top. And it's the truth is, is this is going out the weekend after the announcement. And yeah. we again, we probably should have said something up top. But I, I really wanted to talk about the movie. And I don't want us to go out on like a. This is not like a somber note. It's a no. realistic note. I'll throw my two cents in there. Yeah, I mean, we did know we got a, we got the call about two and a half weeks ago or so. Um, it's very tough keeping it to ourselves but obviously that you have no idea how hard that was for um, all of us but that's part of the job it's part of the gig like you it's not uh, it's not our it's not our show it's not our place no. to say what to make announcements or to let anybody know about things and uh, you know whatever it's up to them um but the showdown has been a big part of my life 
for the past nine years. I was up in here since season one watching. Um, I, much like PJ, I kind of I became more invested as we went along. Obviously, when Team Action came to play, that's when I really super got invested more than anything else. I actually had something to glob onto, and like they became my favorite team. I started working with Ben and Drew on action industry stuff, and that was a great moment. I got to know them better. Um, at the same time, I started. I started join, I joined up with Called Action, who had started before me, which was an after show of the, of the Schmodown. Um, I worked with them for a bit. It was a great time. They're still my family. It still goes. They're still on today. We don't do as much as we used to do, but they still we have a couple of good shows, and they're going to continue all the way through the end. They're going to keep following the Schmodown until the end and beyond. Um, um, before pivoting to do other other content, I'm sure. Um, but then because of that, I got to go to live events. And sure enough, I met PJ at a live event. And that was the beginning of our beautiful friendship. Um, I worked yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, dude, I mean, legitimately, I, I the first time we really met was what, New York, right? New York, the first the first and- live event outside of L.A. Yeah. You and I were at the bar until way too late hanging out and talking. And I'll never forget that. I remember actually the very moment I met you. I can remember in my head, and this yeah. maybe should be saved for our, our, our next show, but I don't no, know. Fuck it. Well, we, can, I, uh, we can go back to it. I was obviously, obviously already working for Ben and Drew at that point. Um, ben had, you know, I can throw Ben under the bus now. It's so, so much later on. Ben let it slip that he was a surprise guest at that show. That's where Ben, the boss, Bateman was born. He came back, the music was played um, or whatever. Um, so I, I was going down. Um, I had also known Brandon Hanna. Um, who would also mm-hmm. work with the action industry's boys at that point. And really, they really, the funny thing people don't know about action industry is there was about like 12 of us working on them at one point. Um, but really, at the beginning, Brandon, me, and Richard Eric Jarvey, you can also find on BLD projects, were the big like three who were really heavily involved with working in the beginning. Um, Brandon was going to be there because he was working behind the scenes of the showdown as well. Um, and I, so I talked to Ben. Ben said, stay afterwards after everybody leaves and I'll get to you know, say, hey, we'll, we'll get because we had never actually met in person. We'd only met like online right. um, and streaming stuff. So everybody's really getting kicked out. I found Brandon, Ben giving the high sign saying, you know, go head over there and I want to talk to Brandon. And there was PJ wrapping up cables, I think, doing stuff for, for behind the scenes stuff, whatever it was. Stuff that PJ, I do. And PJ kind of came up to me. He's like, yeah, you got, you got to go. <laughs> you got to shoot the audience out. You're telling the audience because you're like, I was an audience. Gotta, gotta, we're trying to clear it out because that's what he was told yeah. to do or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Brandon goes, no, no, he's here. He's here. Ben had him stay after. And, and PJ quickly just quickly goes, oh, well, that's a different case then. What's up? It's <laughs> 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 a great moment. That's <laughs> uh, the best. I, like, I, I like pivot so hard in those moments <laughs> where I have to go from being like the bad guy to, oh, cool, you're part oh, of us. Great. Cool. Let's hang out. Cool. Let's hang out. And that's what we had at the bar and got way too drunk. It was great. Um, it was phenomenal. Um, that feels like a lifetime, brother. It does. It really does. And um, I worked, obviously, at that point, I, I, I didn't get in part. I, I met Christian a few times. And then when Christian decided at one point, I remember I talked to Christian about, here's, here's a funny behind the scenes thing I'll talk about. Christian, Call to Action did um, a thing called Last General Standing, um, which was basically a free-for-all. I remember this. Yeah, for all. So Christian DM me about uh, last general standing. We were talking about doing <laughs> like a rival, having a rival trivia league, that kind of thing, joking around a little bit. I dare you. Um, I know, right? Right. <laughs> um, but during the conversation, we talked about a few things, and obviously he had been on Chilled Action a few times, our, which was our interview show, been on Called Action. He really hyped up Called Action a lot. I can give him all the props in the world because Called Action would never become the two-time award-winning podcast that it was without the support from Christian. Christian shouted us out. It's spectacular. He really 
really had a, a good hand in like making sure that we got our name out there with the Shmodown audience. Um, but he had this idea where we were talking about the Trivia League. He said he floated this idea in my head. He's like, how would you feel about helping out with perhaps the minor leagues of the Shmodown? And I could, he was like, well, that sounds interesting. I'm absolutely interested. Tell me more. Like, well, I can't tell you more yet, but um, I'll tell you when we get to that point. Oh, and Brad Gilmore is going to contact you about a, a, a new show coming up. I was like, oh, okay, sure. And sure enough, that was coming up next. And coming up next was Brad Gilmore and Jen Sturger. And that was the beginning of a, a nice little run we did. It was a short-lived show. It didn't last a whole lot long. And at the, at the end, it was probably too close. Uh, between they had backstage, they had rundown, they had coming up next. Was there was a lot happening back then. It was a little bit too much. We tried to do our own different thing, and I think we succeeded at some levels. It was a lot of fun because Brad and Jen have a great chemistry. I was supposed to be behind the scenes while RB3 was transitioning into leaving. Um, he asked me basically to engineer it and produce it. And I was like, oh, that's how I joined up. And, of course, after that, the next thing after that after that left, that's when the FCL came in. That's when he tapped me, and he said that he wanted me to be the head writer of the FCL. And sure enough, I came to PJ. And <laughs> behind the scenes, we can say this now definitely because we're out. Like PJ and I basically wrote again. We, like PJ said, we basically I wrote had the pronoun and PJ wrote the FCL. It was all part and parcel. We were <laughs> we were working on both of them together. It was just easier. It just made things easier because PJ was going to check my work and I would check his work anyway. So we were like, well, why don't we just write these together anyway? So what the funny thing was is that, and I'll say this out loud too. Eventually, we'll have another show talking about all this, but now we're dedicating this part to it. But the funny thing was is if Christian didn't love a question he would call me and be like, what, what's going on over there? And I was like, I don't know, dude, like the FCL questions. If I, I wasn't that for like the first two weeks, I was not very involved. And then I kept getting phone calls and I was like, look, I'll go deal with it. And then I would come to you and I was like, look, I got another phone call. And it just became, why don't we just hop on call and work together? Right. And it was about, because like at the point I had a hard, I did, I'll admittedly now say so I had a hard, I love a hard time trying to find, um, the ease of the question he wanted, obviously, because the we were about the show about to become more accessible to, to people who wanted people to be able to get get answers instead of being as hard as it was at the time. And the Spodown was getting that, and the FCL was supposed to be a developmental league, which was even like, less so. His, like, his pitch man at one point was Dan Merle should never come down to the FCL and lose. So I was like, yeah, sure, I get that and everything else. But it took a couple of weeks before, of matches to really kind of get how um, – Oh, sorry. How how accessible it was supposed to be. Um, eventually, I did get it. We got a nice little rhythm going with that. And obviously, we worked together in MTS. And we got less phone calls as time went on as we developed our, our own style. And then we kind of knew what he was looking for and found a way to make it work with what he was looking for, what the fans wanted, and what we wanted as well. It had a nice little... I think we found a sweet spot. I mean, we did. I want to say we did. So. I think so. I think and I both leagues... I think both leagues were the best that they ever could be because of you and I. Yeah, we did. I'm, I'll say that hands down. That's not patting myself in the back, patting ourselves in the back a little bit, but I think it's true. But I do also want to thank, I want to thank you for helping me. I also want to thank Christian Always. and Mark. Christian and Mark definitely gave me a shot and they've been nothing but professional and helpful with me as far as that goes, but develop, developing things go. Whenever I did, whenever Christian did call me to correct me on something about that he wanted done, he always was very decent about it and i explained my side and by the end of the conversation we were good friends still and everything else and so it was it was great it was great working together at that at that point too um but working together with everybody in this pronoun has been wonderful i mean beyond i mean everybody ken knapsack awesome man to work with andrew guy 
awesome to work with. The, the person we were closest with as far as the uh, question go for it. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, the, the fan I'll base never coming. Say a, I'll never say a bad word about Andrew Guy, Ken Knapsack, Jen Sturger, none of them. None of them. I love all of them, man. Absolutely. And then beyond what we said, going back, let's go back to where we came from. We were both our fans before we began. We have great friendships from the, from the fans throughout and the fans in general. Uh, for the most part, the fans were, were phenomenally supporting, supporting. And I loved getting to deal mm-hmm. with them and, or interact with them on a, on, a, on a timely basis. Live events, amazing. So the best times of my life, not going to lie. It's a family. The Schmodown right now is a family. And you have the competitors, the managers, the, everything else. Kevin Smetches, the Kaisers who call me on a, nor- like a regular basis. Um, I, I could list everybody, and I'd be forgetting <laughs> at least like half people. So There's so many of you guys. There's so many people that I love so dearly. And it just everybody. feels weird. It just feels weird. And now it's just kind of gone. And that's what's the weird about it is now we're at a time where we don't even know yet because it's not over. It's not really over yet. I hope people realize that too. It's not over. People should stay watching throughout the end. We have some great yeah, matches. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we have a lot of great matches left that we wrote that a lot of people put their time and effort into. Mm-hmm. So please watch them. And we're going to write the hell out of the spectacular. As, as soon as we know what the matches are, we'll, we're going to try to write the best spectacular we possibly could. And then beyond that, that's when we'll find out how how close the family gets to stick together. Because that's what everybody's worry, I think. And I think it's it's a valid worry. Like once this was such a central hub for everything we did, that once it goes away, officially goes away, all all sorts of like after spectacular is done, then we'll see how close we all really are. I'm hoping that we're as close as we think we are, and that this won't die quickly. I think the community is strong that we'll find ways to. I think we'll be more splintered. We'll probably have a little more groups of people, probably, but. As, as long as we stick together as a whole, for the most part, I'll be satisfied. But I do love the showdown. Yeah. I thank you all for sticking with us for that. And I thank Christian and Mark again for creating it and for allowing us to have our potential. Skybound for also helping us out as well. TL and that are, and Courtney have been great to work with. I love them all as well. Um, yep. yeah, I can't say it. enough good things about everyone. Just yeah. feels weird it's over. It does feel weird it's over. I'm going to, we do have a little bit of a run left that we have to do. So I'm going to, Give my heart and soul to it. Um, and hopefully it will, ah, I don't know. But the silver lining is we do get to do more stuff like this. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe something else will happen that something will, who knows? L- I don't listen know. to the podcast. Keep listening. Keep Listen. listening. Keep keep being here. Keep supporting us. That's, you know, that's it, man. That's we love it. you guys all. We do love you guys all for everything you've done for us. Um, one way. I should plug it out. Look at that nice little segue. One way you can join us, Patreon. Patreon.com slash PLD Projects, where you'll know everything you'll need to know about us. We uh, we do have extra content we give and more ways you can hang out. Although we actually hang out together on a monthly basis. We're going to do some in-depth shows. We do Doctor our two mediocre white idiots in a box. Yeah. <laughs> Blue box. We talk about Doctor Who. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go into it now. I think we have, I talk about this podcast as a potential thing for our patrons later on. If you like Halloween, we're going to give you more Halloween content. We haven't solidified it yet. PJ was kind of all on board. Talking about talking uh, the Taking Shape 2 book about all those lost sequels. We're going to do bonus content where we give you a bonus to mediocre white dudes on film. We go through those broken sequels that never happened. Talk about what they would be, what they could have been, whether we would have liked to have seen them developed and that kind of thing. I think it could be some fun times going through with that. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I ordered it while we were sitting here, by the way. So did you? It's, I'm glad. Yeah, I did. Yeah. 
Uh, I also ordered the Slash of the Titans one. So, you know. <laughs> These guys are great. Yeah, they're great. You're going to really enjoy them. I'm not, not going to lie. Yeah, I'm guys. freaking excited. It's going to be good. Um, and of course, also for the rest of the time, you can find me on Class Action, also on the podcast. We do great. PJ was on last week. Um, he yeah, it was. A fun time with uh, Prince of Persia versus uh, John Carter. And that was a great discussion you guys had. I loved it. It was fun. Uh, I had the best time, man. It was really fun hanging out with those guys. And, you know, in typical me fashion, I managed to derail a good portion of the show with <laughs> tangent. So it all tied to what we were talking about, though. So, I mean, like, it was a lot of fun. Uh, John Carter got all the love in the end, which is all I could have asked for. Um, I didn't expect the sweep, to be honest with you. But the sweep was had, and I, I feel good about it. Good. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to have you back on at some point. PJ is, uh, we don't want to ever, three is our sweet spot. That's why I actually would have to, I would actually invite PJ to be on full time. But three is our sweet spot, I think. So PJ will definitely be on anytime we can get him on. Um, I might have actually an idea to push you on a little more than that. But we'll have to find out. I'll just sink some deep thoughts into this. Uh, so I like yeah. having you involved and everything. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, I'll also throw out there my, real, my, uh, my queen podcast that I do on a weekly basis, taking a couple weeks off now for crown jewels, but we're to get into season two where we talk about queen two. Um, that's another great one, but I want to shout out my patrons first. They've reached this level. Uh, uh, real quick. We didn't do something again. We're going to get back there in a second. Danielle okay. Ramirez, Brandon Buckingham, Brandy Parker, Jeff Alterman, John Latrina, Kelly W. Mwah. Love you guys so much. We'll hang out soon. Um, yes, there is one thing I didn't think about doing because quite frankly, we already kind of spoiled it, but we will talk about it real quick. Our ratings of this film, our rankings of this franchise, we should because the rest of the films are going to matter as far as this goes. This one doesn't matter as much because we know right away what we're going to do. This is an 11 out of 11. We always go from 0 to 11 on PLD Project because you guys turn it up to 11. This is a perfect film for a quarter film. I can't see anybody giving it less than 11. If you do, I don't want to know you. So PJ, tell no, me. No, it's, it's straight up an 11. I mean, look, it's really like a 12 or a 13 or a 14. Really? Like, it's... There's nothing like it, man. Like, again, there, I adore this movie. I genuinely think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, it doesn't get better than this. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's going to be our number one uh, in the franchise. And there's just, it's not even a competition. So, yeah, this is a straight fire 11. Exactly. So, the really, when you'll see the rest of the rankings, it's all going to be about who comes in number two. That's what's really going to happen at this point. Other than that, that's it, my friends. I'm at Peel, I'm Paul and George Newsy on Twitter. Uh, where the folks find you, PJ? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, PJ underscore Campbell. Here hanging out, talking about all things movies with you. Uh, just having a good time for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking Halloween. So, you know, strap in. It's not going to – you think this one's long, just wait. I'm sure there's going to be longer ones down the line. we got fun stuff to look forward to. Right. Thanks again for the support, guys. Okay. Thanks you very much for the support. We love you. Halloween 2 next week, folks. And then maybe The Fog? But we'll find yes. out. Yes. We'll find out. Until next time, keep staying mediocre, guys. See the video first possible. Love you all. Take care. <laughs>